get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. Petrangelo the drive, wide rebound, they score! Ryan O'Reilly picked the rebound off the hot yellow dasher and flipped it in past Markstrom. Power play goal for O'Reilly and the Blues take a one nothing lead. O'Reilly's in front on the backhand, he scores! What a goal! O'Reilly has two! His backhand goes under the bar. And the Blues are back on top, 2-1. to one. As much praise as he gets, and, and he deserves it, there's a lot of little things that I don't think people even realize that he does that go a long way in the game. So, um, you know, that's the definition of being a high-end player, and um, he deserves all the attention he's getting. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was the call last night here on 101 ESPN. The last voice you heard was Alex Petrangelo talking about Ryan O'Reilly. Guys, we spent a lot of time coming into this round robin and then the postseason talking about, hey, who are the players that can carry a team through the Stanley Cup playoffs? Who are the players? And we mentioned Nathan McKinnon's name, I think, 100,000 times in this conversation that could legitimately put their entire teams on their shoulders and ride that guy to the Stanley Cup. We, I don't believe, mentioned Ryan O'Reilly's name a single time in those conversations. We made a mistake in not mentioning Ryan O'Reilly's name in those conversations because what we have seen from him and that line since they've been put together in this series, he's a game changer. They talk all the time about how great he is defensively. We are seeing that firsthand in this series. His numbers, Jamie, are unbelievable. When he's on the ice, the Canucks can't get into the offensive zone. The Blues are spending the entire time in their offensive zone. And then when the Canucks get possession of the puck, they find a way to turn it over because he's hounding the dude that has the puck. He's been incredible. What we have seen from him in the last two games in particular is what you would expect from a player that has that potential of carrying a team to the Stanley Cup. First off, Vancouver, welcome to hell, okay? (laughs) This is what playoff hockey is about. All those smiles you had on your face at the start of the series, where are they now? And Ryan O'Reilly is leading the charge, okay? You're right, BK. His numbers are outstanding. Anything that anyone he plays against, he simply shuts down. And at the same time, oh, yeah, that's right. He's going to score a couple of goals to go with it. Are you kidding me right now? This is the Ryan O'Reilly that was here last year, last year in the playoffs, the Conn Smythe winner, the Selkie Trophy winner. This year nominated again. 
And the best thing about it is he quietly goes about his business. He doesn't have these spotlights all around him in this crazy circus of people. No, he get, he just puts his work boots on and he works while others aren't there. Okay, Yarmer Yager used to have this saying because he used to go to the rink at like 2.30 in the morning and skate and work out. And his theory was, I train while the others sleep. And it was like this craziness. Ryan O'Reilly is very similar. He trains when the others aren't doing it, which means he doesn't need all the recognition. And so for me, I just think that Ryan O'Reilly has done a fantastic job. Now, he's not alone. That whole line has been sensational. Been and the Blues have substantially turned this thing around. But yeah, Ryan O'Reilly, he's basically said, we're back, baby. Welcome to the Hotel Hell. Check-in time is now. Check-out time is never. Jamie Rivers <laughs> welcoming in the Vancouver Canucks. Look, I, I, I just told this to Danny Mac. And you guys sent the text message, which I think is a phenomenal segment if we get to later on the show. But when you look at influential players of a Blues franchise in the last decade, or really in, in the history of the Blues, you can say that they're they're difference makers by the goals, the points. Like Brett Hall was a difference maker. Al McKinnis was a difference maker. But it's rare to find a guy who changes an organization with his points and his actions. And not only is Ryan O'Reilly doing that in terms of on ice, he's doing that off ice. Ryan uh, Robert Thomas is becoming an elite centerman because of the time he spends with Ryan O'Reilly. Jaden Schwartz, Zach Sanford, David Perron. You put anybody, you put me on the line with Ryan O'Reilly, I look like I could play hockey. That's how good this guy well, let's is. Let's not go crazy. Yes. I can't even. <laughs> Someone's overtired. I can't even skate backwards. I know. I'm sleeping like I'm three hours right now. No, but it, it's it's the way he plays. It's the patience he has with the puck. It's the defensive responsibility. It's his actions on the bench. It's everything about Ryan O'Reilly. Every time he's on the ice, his line is the best line. And again, you got to give credit to Jaden Schwartz. Schwartz has been a monster this postseason. David Perron is the is the is the is the thorn in every player's side right now on the Vancouver Canucks team. But all of that surrounds a guy who can be the, the, the calm one on the line. And that's Ryan O'Reilly. I've got some numbers for you guys. Uh oh. Because what they are doing on that line is ridiculous. The five on five numbers are impossible. So Corsi four is a advanced hockey statistic. Basically, it's all of the shots that you have on any given line, right? And typically an elite number, 55, 60%. That is an elite number for What's any your given shot line. Four versus shots against percentage. Correct. And when you get in 60% of those shots, when you're on the ice, that's really impressive. <laughs> really <laughs> impressive. Their line with Schwartz, O'Reilly, and Perron right now is at 79%. 79. You never see anything like no, that. No. Their, their shots for versus shots against. So shots on goal. The ones that are actually getting through. This is not including the block shots, the shots that completely miss the net. 80% in favor of their line. It is 37 to 9. The blue <laughs> shots for versus shots against when Ryan O'Reilly, Jaden Schwartz, and David Perron are on the ice together. This, what they are doing, is impossible. You never see anything like this. They have completely taken over the game. They have completely taken over the series. And I thought there was one instance in particular, Jamie, last night when we saw the game switch on the dime. The Blues played pretty well in the first period. They struggled a little bit to open up the second. 
But then suddenly, about three, four minutes into the second period, you saw something shift. The penalty killed a penalty, or PK killed a penalty. And then on back-to-back shifts, the Blues had 51 seconds and 44 seconds of offensive zone time. Then it was the Ryan O'Reilly goal. That was the second line that had that 51 seconds. Then you have the fourth line. Boom, then you have the Ryan O'Reilly goal, and the Blues are off to the races from there. It completely changed the game, and that's what Ryan O'Reilly's line has been doing basically for the better part of the last three games now. Yeah, listen, 100%. And that's what you just described. That's kind of Blue-O's playoff hockey. Yep. You even look back at last year, there's always a point in the series where it's that straw that breaks the camel's back, and you can identify it through the San Jose series last year. You can identify it with the Winnipeg series. You can find it maybe a little less in the Dallas series and the Boston series, but these guys wear on you. And last night, those two what two shifts, three shifts really yep. in a row, you could see it. And the shots four were mounting up, and the zone time. Okay, let's let's just talk about that the first couple of games we talked about being one and done for the blues one and done and the vancouver canucks were they were firing around zipping passes through leg under sticks all over the place playing with speed they had very little zone time in the second period at all especially the latter half the blues were playing the entire game pretty much from their blue line forward and that's a big difference maker and if you notice too as this was happening jacob markstrom was losing his mind. Oh, my God. And I loved it. I was watching it, and I thought to myself, this is a young Ed Belfour in yes. there. And people who are listening will remember Ed Belfour smashing his stick in overtime when the Blues beat him and him losing his mind. Markstrom and did that on the 3-0 this season. When he was in Dallas with the Dallas Stars, Ed Belfour, that is, he would lose his mind once a game. And the strategy was to nudge him, poke him, oops, fall on him by accident, oops, <laughs> chirp him just a little bit. He spent more time in the second half of that game chirping the referee, yep. the Blues players, his own players, and doing stuff that was really irrelevant to being a goaltender. Mm-hmm. And the number one thing that the Blues kept doing is they didn't even engage. They just kind of go back and do it again and do it again and do it again. And I saw that whole thing just kind of change right before our eyes. I had a spaz meter count last night on that game for Markstrom because every period he seemed to spaz out. The first time he skated over and complained to the official because his own teammate fell into him. And I'm like, what is this guy whining about? The Blues own the real estate right now in Markstrom's head, and that is so good to see going into these next couple of games. And when you talk about the puck possession, you talk about the defensive play. Joe Vitale had a great quote last night at the end of the game. He said, playoff hockey is a man's game. And right now, Vancouver doesn't want to play that. They don't want to play a man's game because the Blues, it went 30, 41, 46, 33 in favor of the Blues. They've out hit Vancouver every series. The puck possession time, I mean, it's incredible looking at that even strength, but even more so their top players. Bo Horvat was wincing in pain every time he had the puck last night because the Blues were laying hits on him. The, How about the, Quinn Hughes? I know. He looks like he wants to tap out. Oh, Ferrario, yeah. Great point yesterday on that, by the way. You yeah. mentioned during the show that you had seen that coming, and we saw it in full effect again last night. hundred uh, percent. Of those four players, Hughes, Miller, Horvat, Pedersen, their best four. They had five shots in the game last night. Three of those five came on the power play. Wow. In this series, adding last night's game, they have 32 shots. 15 of those 32 have come on the power play. 
So nearly half wow. of their shots are coming at, mm-hmm. at uh, with a man advantage. They have nothing at even strength, and that's why Joe said these guys want to. They don't want to play a man's game right now, and that's the scary part moving forward. They're in their heads. They we are, we are we are we are seeing the Blues taking advantage, and this is why I've said all along, guys. I've said all along. Blues and six. Oh, no. Never deviated Jesus. from that belief. Always enough. Believed. Enough. Oh, you're back on our side of the tank. Take this down in six games. Hey, Ribs. At one point, you were calling Vancouver in six. Ribs, he just jumped over that the fence happened. again for us. Yeah, he did. That never happened. I have, I'm going to start putting a shot caller on this guy. Bet you think Millsy's a terrible player, too, still. Blues versus Canucks. Game number five <laughs> tomorrow at 8 30. Is the pregame with Alex Ferrario? You can listen or not, but definitely listen to the p- puck drop at Whoa, 9. You can listen. <laughs> if I'm going to stay up, you can listen. It's 11:14. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I've always said Blues in six. I've also always said Brad Miller. That's our guy. That's our guy. We are going to back him 100% at all times. I didn't care what the audience ever said. Millsy. That's our boy, and we got to give him his credit. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. And Miller again hits it out to deep center field. At the wall, gone! Brad Miller with an absolute bomb into the bleachers at Wrigley. A two-run homer, 2-1 two to one St. Louis. It's like I've said all along, all Brad Miller needed was a chance. Oh, my God, BK. Come on, just be honest with our listeners. They already know. They smell your stink a mile away right now. Keep trying, BK. You'll get it. I promise. Millsy. Millsy. From the top rope. You were like, Brad Miller, if we're going to do this, why don't we have the young guy, Brad Miller? Brad Miller can't do anything. The guy doesn't even wear batting gloves, he Brad had, Miller. He had one good season. Not even one good season. Literally he had a good 60 one. Games. Like a decade yeah. ago. What are no, we doing? I know. I'm just. It was. <laughs> oh, now you know what you're talking about. All of a sudden, you're on it. Now it's come back. Listen, I was wrong. Uh, I've been uh, been wrong a couple of times here lately. Hold on. You want to say that again for us, BK? Yeah. One I, more uh, time. I happened to have been wrong on this one. That might be the only thing you've been right about. <laughs> John Nagowski, by the way, uh, the Nogfather, going to be joining us coming up at noon. So uh, at least I was right on that one. He's sticking around the big leagues for a while. <laughs> yeah, not so much Stay there. Stay hot, BK. Not so much there either. So Brad Miller. Uh, we do have to give credit where it is due because he was unbelievable yesterday. And Jamie, I said yesterday, one other place that I will say, I think I was right on. Oh, God. It's a big week for Matt Carpenter. A big week well, for Matt Carpenter. We've been saying that for a year, though. <laughs> saying that since he got into the league. Yeah. Well, Touche. But the reason why I say that it's a battle of the week, no batting gloves. I've just came up with it. We're going to promote it. No batting gloves battle. Milsey and Marp. When you're when you're on when you're on one hour of slow. So put a poll up. The reason why it's so significant of a week for Matt Carpenter. Sorry, VK. No one's listening. Is because soon Paul DeYoung is going to return. And when he does, suddenly you're gonna have Tommy Edmond going back to third base. And there's only one spot left for Matt Carpenter to play. And that spot is DH. And if you've got Dylan Carlson, who God bless him, it just 
He's not getting the results right now, but he's hitting the ball hard. I think those results are going to come, but he's he's going to be playing every day. We know that Tyler O'Neill, who had the best strikeout rate in all of baseball going into yesterday and then struck out, I think, 27 times. No, it was a one game. The one before it wasn't horrible. The it wasn't second great. game was not pretty. Not great, Bob. So not Tyler O'Neill is going to be playing every day because of the power that he brings to the lineup. Leaves you with one spot left. That's DH. And if our boy Millsy, and I do say our boy Millsy, is hitting like this, Jamie, he should be the DH over Matt Carpenter for the time being. I would argue that I'd put Brad Miller at third base. I mean, Tommy Edmonds good defensively there, but he's not hitting right now. Yeah, but then what do you do with Tommy Edmonds? Just bench him? I think his bat's still better than Matt Carpenter. Tommy Edmonds defensively is really good. Yeah. I don't know. If you can get Brad Miller's bat in the lineup at DH and you can improve your your defense at third with Tommy Edmonds, and I think we all agree, Tommy Edmonds, Brad Miller was good defensively Tommy last Tommy Edmonds is a better third baseman, yes. Tommy Edmonds is better defensively I'm than just Brad Miller. I'm worried the commitment to Matt Carpenter by the Cardinals would shift Brad Miller, and hopefully they wouldn't because you can see his effect, but they I will. guess you never know. Yeah, I mean, Cardinals going to Cardinals. Contractually, they're going to have to. Like, like I know that they're going to like, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. they're financially married to the Matt Carpenter deal. And so therefore he's going to continue to get the options. I, Brad Miller wasn't even here. He was in Springfield, if I'm correct. Right. He, he was on the IL. He was on the oh, IL. The IL? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. My bad. It's been <laughs> four months. Now I know what BK feels like. Anyways, uh, <laughs> what's his contract situation like? Brad Miller? Uh, not much. It's, exactly. it's a one-year deal. So, so if they're going to bury somebody or hurt someone's feelings, it's probably going to be yeah. the guy with the smaller contract. Eventually, it has to be about the results, though, right? And right now, everything is being dictated by these doubleheaders, and they've got another one coming up tomorrow, and so everything is in flux. The If you wanted to see... Kisner getting the majority of the starts. I think that could be coming, but it's just when you're having these double headers, it's going to be Wheaties one, and then and then Kiz is getting the second one. So that's kind of the so way that it's going to go. So many nicknames are trying to keep track of all of us. <laughs> We've got the Nogfather, Wheaties, and Millsy. It's pretty easy to keep keep up. But Matt Carpenter, <laughs> stuff for me. Shade. Matt Carpenter. I'm looking at the advanced numbers right now. It's really bad. For Matt Carpenter. Oh, right you had now. to look that up. You didn't realize that already. <laughs> you didn't use the eye test on that one. <laughs> His expecting batted expected batting average is the third percentile in all of baseball. His hard hit rate, 19th percentile. Expected slugging rate, 11th percentile. He's whiffing at a 90 percentile rate right now. How many blunts has he laid? I'm looking down at the advanced numbers here. Zero. See, if he was a, if he could bunt, he'd be effective. It's really bad. And so if this is going to be the player that Matt Carpenter is, and this is kind of what we've seen now, it is it is a continuation of what we saw a year ago. It is not just judging him on the small sample size of 2020. It's looking at this and also remembering that 2019 happened. Then Miller, if he continues to hit, and we'll see on that, if he continues to hit, he deserves to be the guy that is getting those opportunities because eventually what is happening on the field has to matter more than the contract. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I, you know, I always dive, dive into this because I don't know a lot about the baseball guys, especially the obscure players like Brad Miller. So, Millsy, how old is he in comparison to Matt Carpenter? Brad Miller's 30 years old. Matt Carpenter's what, 32, 32 Okay, so we're not really gaining anything there. It's You're not like hairs there. This is not about the future. Matt Carpenter, by the way, 34. Wow, that Oof, happened quickly. That caught me. Um, Uh-oh. This is not about the future. This no, would be I like only to try for and, the now. But I always like to try and put it in perspective as to uh, if I'm an organization – 
why would I make certain decisions? If it is really truly just splitting hairs, I want to know why. And right now, it's all about production. In a 162-game season, it would be about contract, but... Right now, when you are making up these games and you need runs, it's all about production. That's why you saw Miller go from playing the infield against the first game uh, for the Cubs when he hits that run to being the DH because they know that the power is there. They know that the contact is there, and Carpenter's just not hitting right now. Right now? Listen, guys, let's be honest, okay? All jokes aside, Matt Carpenter had a good second half of one season. Matt Carpenter was a a really good player. In in recent history, old Matt Carpenter was... Now, I don't say old Matt Carpenter. I say young Matt vintage Carpenter. Matt yes, Carpenter. Yeah, vintage Matt Carpenter. But I'm talking about in the last, what, now it would be three seasons, okay? Yeah, so yeah. two seasons ago, had a really rough start, had a great second half to that season. Yep. Then not very good. Mm-hmm. Yep. Then over the last not very good. Yep. Over his last 137 games, so this is since the beginning of last year, he's batting 225 with a 330 on base percentage. That is a below average major league hitter. And he doesn't bring anything to you defensively. We've seen now he's just he's just not a very good defender at third base. It's just not it's not there for him anymore at this point in his career. If he's gonna play, it's gotta be mostly at DH. And if his bat is going to be what it's been so far this year and what it's been really for the last 18 months, mm-hmm. that can't be your DH. It's not good enough, especially when the Cardinals, as we've seen up and down the lineup, are not a, a great hitting team as a whole. You need the sum of the parts to be greater than the whole. And with Matt Carpenter in there right now, that can't be the case. Brad Miller gives you a better at bat every time that he's up at the plate right now than Matt Carpenter does. Maybe that wears off in a week. That's fine. We'll figure it out again in a week. Well, you still have guys. You can always figure it out, right? Because you still, at that point, you can go back to Matt Carpenter if need be and pull him off the bench and see what you've got. Heck, you've got a lot of options with the DH role. Dylan Carlson, we know we want him in the field, but maybe you give him a break. Maybe he's a DH for a couple games. Lane Thomas, when he's back and ready to go, there's a lot of options. One thing I will say I have to eat crap on here (laughs) is I absolutely bashed Dexter Fowler last week. I called him the roadblock out there in the outfield. He's had a couple of pretty good games here, guys. Let's hold off on that. I can't. Um, I mean, he played pretty good. What do you want me to do? I don't, I'm not saying he's going to be. Oh, yeah, that's true. You make should him, let make him eat the bread loaf. But I also like the fact that uh, he went and got that home run ball for uh, Schrock and Roll. That was awesome. What, what did you call him? Schrock and Roll. Max Schrock and Roll. Who's the roll? You, Millsy. Me. Everybody. Cardinal no. Nation. Schrock and Millsy. No. That's rock and roll. I could be. I like, like hollow it. notes. Same thing. <laughs> no difference. Where are we right now? <laughs> it's Jamie Rivers. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. The Blues made a bold decision last night. In fact, they made a few of them. How many of them will continue going into game five? It's Jake Allen. Is it his job to lose at this point? We'll ask Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic when he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With former Blues superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers, who had a pretty significant day on this day in history six years ago, <laughs> the Blues made him a wealthy man. Well, they traded him away? Yeah, wealthy, all right. And Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. On this day six years ago, your St. Louis Blues signed for a second tour of duty. I wish it Jamie was six Rivers. years ago. It was 2006. <laughs> on this day, 14 years ago. <laughs> 
<laughs> we just playing music. We're not sure. Right that was great. All right. When the Blues play at 930, <laughs> this is the show that you guys get. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. to be. Ha- we are happy to be joined by our guy, Jeremy Rutherford. Hopefully he's less sleep deprived than we all are. It's the Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. JR, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, BK. I heard you say six years ago twice, and I'm like, you're in the same room. You can see him. You can see it wasn't six years ago. I mean, he's got the salt and pepper look going, but he could be a, a, a young 35 with that hair. Yeah. I still got some silky mitts out there, JR. Could have been six years ago. Yeah. No, you do. I've seen those silky mitts, but come on, six years ago. No, we're just sitting around there having breakfast, uh, lunch, uh, celebrating the, the date and history here at the house. So, Jr. Uh, as we continue celebrating, uh, the Blues fans did a lot of that last night with that game. Just can, can you wax poetically for a moment about what we've seen from Ryan O'Reilly? Because what he's doing in this series is, in his line as a whole, really in this series is is unbelievable. It's absolutely masterful, and we we know about Ryan O'Reilly. We know what he can do. We saw it last year. He's the Conn Smythe winner. He's the Selkie winner. Uh, He had a similar season this year, maybe not scoring as many goals, but he just does everything, and that's what he's doing in this series. You know, you can talk about the Sidney Crosbys that will teams to win. You know, maybe he's not to the Sidney Crosby level, but Ryan O'Reilly does so many small things that only people like Jamie and other people who have played the game or watched the game for a long time uh, can see and and we actually uh, put out a story this morning at the athletic where our thomas drance kind of showed some video so if you're interested in some of those things that we're talking about just lifting sticks and getting in uh, the right position all those things that he does just make him absolutely remarkable yeah jr look that's the biggest thing for me is when you watch ryan o'reilly and it's one thing about his play but it's what he does to improve the guys around him and he's a very selfless player in that regard. He will sacrifice a personal opportunity in order to make sure that he's in a great defensive spot or he's an outlet for somebody else. Rather than cheating on the wrong side of the puck, he always makes sure that he's doing what's best for the team and subsequently for his line mates. And I think that's where you see guys like David Perron. His play has just skyrocketed since him and uh, O'Reilly have become shake and bake out there. And now you add... Jaden Schwartz to the mix, who is just like the Energizer Bunny. I mean, he's just hunting down pucks left and right, left and right. Their time of possession is incredible in the offensive zone. And, JR, honestly, I have to credit Ryan O'Reilly for dragging guys to his level when they're on his line. You make a great point about his selflessness. To me, that probably doesn't get brought up enough because not only is he a star in the league and, and he makes plays and you know he wins these awards, but he does it sometimes at the expense of what he could do personally to help other players. And you know, David Prawn's a terrific player in this league, so whether he played with O'Reilly or somebody else, he could get the job done. But O'Reilly does things to put Perron in position to score some of these goals. And look, you know, everybody wants to see the best players on the top line, the next best three on the next line, so on and so forth. That's not how it works. They balance out the offense. They put guys who have certain characteristics on certain lines. They look at the analytics to see who plays well with who based on history. And so the Blues have had to put 
Zach Sanford on that line with O'Reilly and Perron for some of the reasons I just mentioned. But now Craig Bruby has moved things around a little bit. You put a Jaden Schwartz on that line, who we know he's a workhorse. Look, O'Reilly and Perron aren't going to say anything about Zach Sanford. I'm sure they like the way he's played. But Jaden Schwartz is just a next-level player, and you've seen what that's done for that line. JR, I wanted to look a little big picture about Ryan O'Reilly with you, and we'll get we'll get to the goalie situation here in just a moment. But you've been covering this team for a long time. Um, when you when you watch Ryan O'Reilly and you compare what he's been for the Blues, if you look at let's say the last decade, is he going to go down as one of the better players for the Blues over this decade? Like where where do you think he belongs on that kind of a list right now already? And I know it's a short period that he's been here so far. Well, you have to keep in mind that when you win a Stanley Cup, everything just gets completely magnified, and rightly so. So when you're the player who's in the mix of taking the team to the Cup, winning the Conn Smythe, you, know, you, you are. like So I'd go beyond 10 years. I'd go beyond... You know, I'd go 20 years. I mean, you're not going to put him at this point on the level of a bread hall in terms of a guy who's top five in the history of the league, scoring goals, so on and so forth. Uh, and a lot of the things, as we just touched on, that O'Reilly does are underrated. You can bring up Ryan O'Reilly's name around the league, and, and people who pay attention closely are going to say, oh, yeah, he's, he's top notch. But his name isn't up there with Crosby, McDavid, and the rest of them. But here in St. Louis, it should be. I mean, if, if I were putting together a list of the the top 40, 50 Blues players of all time doing that list today, Ryan O'Reilly would for sure be on it, as would Jamie Rivers, who was signed by the Blues six years ago. That's a great call, JR. I, I didn't want to bring it up myself, but uh, yeah, certainly yeah, I would be okay with O'Reilly being slightly ahead of me because I'm a team player too. So, um, <laughs> Anyways, yeah, we're talking with JR here, Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic. Uh, JR, one thing I wanted to bring up really quickly is Jake Allen. You know, how long has it been, first of all, I couldn't find it, that Jake played back-to-back like that. And also, you have Jake Allen going into a Stanley Cup series to where I would argue that it's his job to lose now when it comes specifically to this series. It's amazing. And Craig Ruby said last night when we asked him about the decision to stick with Jake Allen, he said he just had had a gut feeling. I wish my gut would give me good advice like that. My gut says Taco Bell, you know, uh, it says all these fast food restaurants. And, and I just think Craig Ruby has just such a magical touch with these things. We saw it last year in the playoffs moving guys around, putting certain guys into position, and he's doing it again. And so I think there's a lot of people out there, myself included. You know, I made the case yesterday that maybe you do come back with Jordan Bennington just because he's your guy, and and, and, and he did so well last year. When he lost a game in the playoffs, he bounced back. But Craig Bruby said, no, we need to win another game. Jake played well. We're putting him in there. I don't know what to do for game five, guys. I mean, I think you have to go with Jake Allen. It's working. The team's playing well, and, and he deserves it. Uh, you just put Jordan Bennington on the back burner and ride this thing out. We're talking with Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. 101 ESPN, breaking news alert. We have some breaking news from the Blues, and I want to get JR's response to this or his reaction to this. According to the Blues team website, Vladimir Tarasenko is headed back to St. Louis to meet with team doctors for further evaluation of his surgically repaired shoulder. Blues GM Doug Armstrong made the announcement through a team press conference on Tuesday. The team says an update on Tarasenko's status will be available next Monday. So at the very minimum, he's going to be out for the next week. I would imagine if he is coming 
back to St. Louis to talk with the team doctors. It would likely be even longer than that. JR, uh, did you catch any wind of this? What is your reaction to the news that Vladimir Tarasenko heading back to St. Louis to get his surgically repaired shoulder uh, checked out once again? Yeah, well, we knew uh, in the return to play, when he came back, he played the exhibition game. He, he knocked the rust off a little bit, and then uh, he had to sit out a game, and that's not good news. And what I thought about initially was the fact that, look, this is a guy who was going to come back in five months if the season didn't pause. Now he's got nine months to heal. Everybody talked about how strong that shoulder was, and him missing time wasn't a good sign. And so, you know, a week ago, did you know that he'd be headed back to St. Louis to get looked at? No. But uh, I think just what we've seen from Vladimir Tarasenko, he hasn't been confident. And, and you saw some of the plays he made the other night. It just wasn't himself. He's not skating. He's not cutting. Uh, you know, Craig Bruby said it after the game is that we need to see some more of those things from Vladimir Tarasenko. So, you know, the degree of, of how his shoulder is impacted, uh, we don't know yet, obviously, because uh, we'll have to wait to get the evaluation from the doctors. But the fact that Craig Bruby, to me, would kind of be critical of his play tells you that, you know, maybe they didn't know the severity of what he was dealing with with the shoulder. So uh, it's obviously become an issue. They're going to have to get it looked at and, and not good news. But uh, either way, whether the shoulder was bothering him, it wasn't bothering him. He was not playing well. And as you've seen, they've put replacements uh, into the lineup and the Blues have looked a lot better. JR, Vladimir Tarasenko scores 11 goals last year in the playoffs. We have now a situation where we're going to be without those 11 goals. What players, and I'll use the I'll use it as plural because not one player out there is going to fill in for that 11 goals. What players do you think can step up and add a little bit of offensive punch to this lineup? Well, I don't think it's going to be uh, a player, and, and I saw you said players, uh, and that's what it's going to have to be. And, and when he went out on October 24th the first time, that's what it was the rest of the season. For the next 61 games, the Blues came together as a team, had the balance scoring. You had Braden Shen and David Prawn contribute 28 goals apiece. You had a Zach Sanford step up and double his total, you know, eight goals before this year he had 16. You had contributions from all around. So you look at uh, the possibilities of guys who are going to be in the lineup, and you're looking at what we saw the last couple of games, Jordan Kyrou steps in. Well, guess what? He's not going to score 11 goals in the playoffs. You know, De La Rose, these guys coming in aren't going to be able to contribute in, in that regard. So you have to be happy knowing what you know right now, that Vladimir Tarasenko is not going to be in the back in the lineup, that the Blues are playing the style that leads to different guys contributing on a regular night because that's what it's going to have to be. We're talking with Jeremy Rutherford. He's our Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. JR, how much does this change your expectations for the Blues this postseason, if at all? Do you do you still believe that even, let's say Vladimir Tarasenko is not able to return to them this postseason? Is this still a team that, with the guys that they have without Vladdy, can be a cup contender in your opinion? I think so. I think definitely after watching, it, especially the last game, uh, you know, you're better with Vladimir Tarasenko on the ice, right? Everybody can agree with that. 11 goals last year. But I expected a better Tarasenko 
because he had so much time to heal. So I'm looking at a Tarasenko who's maybe got two goals in this series already, and he's noticeable and he's playing good hockey. If that's not the Vladimir Tarasenko that you're going to get, then to me it doesn't matter if uh, he's in the lineup right now or he's back in St. Louis because he's not that guy. So does this change the Blues' uh, trajectory in terms of can they still contend for a cup? I would answer it that it'd be nice to have him, but it would be nice to have the real number 91, and they didn't have that. So I, to me, it's, it's yeah, it's a knock. You don't have them, uh, but the way they're playing here lately, they can win like they are. He's Jeremy Rutherford. You can find his work on The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. JR, we always appreciate the time, my man. Uh, enjoy the rest of this series. We look forward to reading your work over on The Athletic. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. You got it. That's JR joining us here on 101 ESPN. So, Jamie, we got Jeremy Rutherford's reaction to that. I want to get you and Alex Ferrario's reaction to the news that Vladimir Tarasenko is returning back to St. Louis to get his shoulder checked out. Plus, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get some questions and answers coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. If you missed the breaking news of the day, the Blues have announced that Vladimir Tarasenko is returning back to St. Louis to meet with team doctors regarding his surgically repaired shoulder. He has missed each of the last two games. The Blues have won each of the last two games. They have played well in his absence. Jamie Ferrario, I wanted to get your reaction to this. We just got the reaction of Jeremy Rutherford. How much does this change your expectations for the Blues moving forward playing without Vladdy? Doesn't. It doesn't change any of my expectations. Next man up. Who wants the ball? I mean, that's the way you have to be. And that's the way Craig Berube coaches his team. And that's the way, if you look at the leadership group of these guys, Braden Shen, Alex Petrangelo, Ryan O'Reilly, right? You could just say Ryan O'Reilly and leave it at that. Vladimir Tarasenko, we talked about it before going into the break, 11 goals in the playoffs last year, had some timely ones as well, too. He does control the game with a flick of the wrist. He can change a game quickly. He wasn't doing that. So whether it was rusty, whether it was injured, was a combination of both. It is what it is. They've won two hockey games without him now. So guess what, guys? They can win without him. They won all season long without him. Would I rather have a healthy Vladimir Tarasenko who's rolling at 100%? Well, absolutely. I'm not an idiot here. Okay? Maybe a little bit, but I'm not that much of an idiot. You said it, not me. But right now... You don't have that. So guess what? Cairo, here's your chance to get a little extra ice time. Barbie. Hey, shrimp on the Barbie. It's time to get back into the locker room. He's going to come back. He's a double-digit scorer for you. You get a couple of goals from Cairo. You get four or five from Barbashev. Now you're almost at that 11. We're in business, boys. Yeah, Bob's your uncle, and you got an offense without Vladimir Tarasenko. Look, you, you've had two games... Vladdy on the ice with your team. <laughs> I've always wanted to say that too, and it was a perfect opportunity. <laughs> Shrimp on the Barbie and Bob's your uncle everyone, inside of like some really good analysis from both of you everyone, is just everyone, that's peak rib, ribs and BK. Everyone wants to say Bob's your uncle, and I got my opportunity. No, look, you played two games with Tarasenko on the ice since October 24th, and you've won 42 games in the regular season. You've just won two without him. If Tarasenko's not 100%, which obviously he's not, 
you don't need him on the ice. He's not making your team better because he's ailing his arm. He's not the same player. So go with the players that you have in your depth. Find out what Jordan Cairo is because to me, two games, he's looked great for this team. He's got speed. He's got offense. You're going to have Barbashev back. I think he'll insert himself instead of Mackenzie McEachern. If Steen comes back, you're taking De La Rose out. You're the same team just without that shot, but other guys can score. 65780 is their comfort service text line, and I think this is the natural question after what we just talked about from the 314. Is Tarasenko being traded in the offseason a possibility? Let me throw this on the back end. If they win a cup, they win the cup this year without Vladdy in the lineup. I think if you're Doug Armstrong, you have to ask yourself the question, why am I paying a guy seven and a half million dollars per year if I can win a cup without him? And is that totally fair to Vladdy? Maybe not. But that's the question that he's going to be asking. He's going to have to say to himself, are we a better team with Vladdy or are we a better team keeping Petro here? Is the move that we make to keep Petro, is it trading away Jaden Schwartz or Bozak or is it making a move with Vladimir Tarasenko? I have been a huge Vladdy defender over the years. I do think at this point in time, it is at the very minimum our job and a realistic question to ask, is that something that the Blues should or will consider in the offseason? All right, first of all, Doug Armstrong has a lot to consider, okay? You've got Alex Petrangelo, unrestricted free agent, that he's going to be up for grabs. you got Jaden Schwartz with a year left on his deal. What do you ultimately want to do with Schwartz? You've got Jake Allen coming off of a good run here, and it's to be determined just how good it's going to be. But as of right now, his stock is pretty high out there on the trade market, and you also have Vladimir Tarasenko. At least you have a guy, a 40-goal scorer, that... Quite honestly, his $7.5 million on the books, it's nothing mm-hmm. these days. So, yeah, I think Doug Armstrong, uh, it's mandatory for him to go through each player and see what the club needs, who they could resign, where this player fits in the future, financially where it leaves a team. And if you do get a deal where somebody offers you something for a Vladdy Tarasenko, it better be good, okay? Yes. You're it, not just getting rid of him for the cap space. You've got to get something in return. Yeah, and, and let me just really clarify things here. He's back here right now with a bad shoulder. He's had some shoulder problems. The St. Louis Blues with a 100% Vladdy are a much better team. Okay, so before anybody thinks we're trading Vladdy, we're not. All we're doing is we're discussing the fact that if there was a an offer to present itself to Doug Armstrong that made sense, that made this club better, that put them in a good spot financially to either keep Jaden Schwartz or keep Alex Petrangelo or, heck, keep them both for some reason, I think you have to examine it. Look, in, at the end of it, you haven't won a Stanley Cup without him. He was on your team when you won the Stanley Cup, so you don't know if you can win a Stanley Cup. And look, you don't get to the Stanley Stanley Cup final without Tarasenko being who he was in the San Jose Shark series. You totally. don't beat the Boston Bruins unless he's scoring goals like he did in game seven and in game five. So I think you're still at the point where you're not 100% on. It's premature to talk about getting rid of Tarasenko. I don't think it is. I, I Just to, to, to jump in there real quick, I don't think it's premature to talk about the possibility. I, are they going to do it? 
I have no idea. I would lean towards no, because that's a massive move to make with a 40 goal score. And we've got a lot of text on the text line. You never trade a fully goal, 40 goal score. Well, let me answer that for you. Uh, there's a guy called Wayne Gretzky. He got traded a few times. Yeah. How'd that I, work out? I get where they're coming from, but I, I don't think that yeah. it is too early let to me, talk about whether or not it is a possibility. Let me rephrase by saying it's not premature, but there are other names. There are a lot of other names on this roster that you would move if you're Doug Armstrong to figure out this team before you get to number 91 unless there is a serious problem with him in the locker room and look they won a Stanley Cup with him all season last year he, he he's he's a part of this team no matter what he wears an A he's got a leather um there are other names that will be moved before a Tarasenko gets moved to make this salary cap work in Alex Petrangelo's scenario. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 3014 guys. Doesn't Vladdy have a no trade clause? We talked about this the other day, Jamie, uh, in baseball, but it's the same thing in hockey. Yes, he does have a no, full no trade clause, but that just means he has the right to decline mm-hmm. any trade. If he were to say, yeah, I'm fine with going to that team, then the move could still be made. The key thing there is once you know a team is wanting to deal you, you know that they've moved on from you. And so whether you have a no trade clause or not, that's usually when the agent steps in and says, okay, we're saying no to your trade to Buffalo right now because my client's not going there, but we'll submit a 10-team list to you, and then it's up to you guys to go make a deal. Otherwise, everything's off the table. Well, and the other part of it, too, is, and I mean, you you have to spend time and sit there and look, but if you're going to make the trade, you got to get something that's comparable or better and you got to find that that's cheaper than or Tarasenko. Can be, it can know? be. Like yeah. You have to look at the future. Uh, that's where I think you're looking at a player, a solid young player coming out of their entry level contract that might be time for a pay raise. So they're going from the 1 million that they make as a rookie to where it could be 3, 3.5 because they have an impact. That to me is what you're looking for if you're going to move a player of Vladdy's ilk. But again, um, although you don't think it's premature, BK, I do think it's still a little bit premature based on where they are right now in the playoffs. Come the end of the season and, and things start to you know get clear where we find out how bad is his shoulder? Is it really bad? Is it not? It all could be a moot point. If this thing needs to be surgically repaired again, you forget about it. And that's the big question that still remains to be answered is what is really going on with this shoulder? If it's significant, well, you can't trade him because he won't pass a physical with his neck team and you literally couldn't make the deal right now because of all of the limitations that would be placed there so that that is absolutely a question that still remains to be answered but it's our job to talk about what's going on right now Mm -hmm. I I think it is a fair question and it's it's something that's been talked about you know under it's been bubbling up for years now as to whether or not he is going to be here for the long haul in St. Louis and so now with the team succeeding this year without him over the course of the regular season now going into the playoffs and the two games that he did not play in they played extremely well Mm -hmm. see what happens from here you guys are absolutely correct on that if they end up losing this game this series in six and it looks like they really missed that scoring touch of Vladimir Tarasenko maybe it's a moot point if they advance from this series like we all think they're going to and they continue having success without Vladimir Tarasenko and Jaden Schwartz is amazing in this postseason it's like wow can't lose that guy and Jake Allen you ride him to the Stanley Cup Wow, maybe it's going to be really tough to lose that guy. And you've got Petro, who's been outstanding, and you want to keep the, the captain in town. Well, you're going to have to make some difficult moves somewhere. And maybe this would be one of those that they at least consider. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. John Nagowski. 
is no longer with the St. Louis Cardinals, but he could be back eventually. And the Nog father is going to talk about his major league debut, his first hit of his major league career. He's going to join us to do it all coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alongside former Blue superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by, I like to call him friend of the show, John Nagowski, a.k.a. the Nogfather, made his debut for the Cardinals over the weekend, had his first career major league hit, made his debut at the young age of 27 years old. We are thrilled to have him here on the show. John, how are you doing today, my friend? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you. So let's start with this. When did you get the when did they inform you that you were going to get the call up to the bigs? And what was that moment like for you? Who did you immediately call? Well, uh, it was the day before we ended up heading to Chicago. I I was in Springfield and um, I got a call from Jose Okendo um, and he just basically told me, hey, pack your stuff. You're going to go to St. Louis. Um, we're not 100% sure if you're going to go on the taxi squad or if you're going to go uh, on the active roster, but uh, just head to St. Louis and, and we'll tell you more when we know more. And uh, so I said, all right. So I packed my stuff and, um, and headed up there. And um, I got a call from John Vooch, uh, who's a scout for the Cardinals. And he was the guy that actually signed me out of, um, out of Sioux City, out of independent ball. And um, so it was, it was pretty cool to, to hear it from him. And, you know, cause he was the guy that, that kind of found me at, at Indy ball and gave me a chance with the Cardinals. So um, that was, that was pretty special. And um, I called my girlfriend right away, let her know, um, called my parents and uh, it was just, it was such a special moment, man. So much had, had gone into that. And, um, you know, I, I know that they were just as excited as I was. I about drove off the road. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's where I was headed with this next is because I remember getting called up for the first time and knowing that you're going to the big leagues or the show, whatever you want to call it. And it's a special moment. And the fact that you were driving in this is really special. And it's kind of weird in a way because you had to have been so jacked up to get to the, the Cardinals, to get to that clubhouse and to be on the roster. It had to be something, an emotion that you probably have never felt before. That a hundred percent true, and and you know, thank God my truck can only go about eighty without shaking, <laughs> and, uh, because I probably would have been going about a hundred and eighty. But what kind of um, truck do you drive, John? I've got it. I got an F one fifty, and um, you know, I, I put put a lift on it and some tires on it, and um, you know, I'm from the south, so that's that's what we do down there. But um, so I did that and, and, you know, it's, it's shaking. I'm driving, I'm, I'm calling my, my parents, I'm calling my girlfriend and, you know, just yelling and screaming and, um, yeah, thank goodness I didn't get a ticket, but it would have been an expensive one, I could imagine. Well, we're talking with John Nagowski. He made his major league debut over the weekend with the St. Louis Cardinals. We got to get our guy some more followers on Twitter as well. At John underscore Nagowski eight on Twitter is where you can follow him. John, what was this weekend like for you? I mean, I, I can't even imagine getting that call, playing for the Cardinals. You're wearing the birds on the bat, and you end up going up against Dallas Keuchel, who is a, a great pitcher in the majors, a great first hit too. Out of, off of him. What, what was this experience like for you? 
Yeah, plus beard. Absolutely. That <laughs> there was, you go. I think that might have been the first thing I noticed when I walked up to the plate. I said, that is a phenomenal beard. <laughs> and then, like, my knees are knocking and everything. Like, um, but, Do you think man, he puts was, just uh, for men in his beard? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that thing's impeccable, though. I mean, there's not a hint of gray, so he's he must be hitting that up. I think so. A little spray paint in there. But uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was really cool. I mean, you know, we had the doubleheader. I wasn't sure if I was going to play in game two of that doubleheader or not. And then, um, you know, they send out the lineup the night before, so kind of getting able to see that after after my first day up there and seeing that I was in the lineup and um, that next day was just. I think I got three hours, four hours of sleep. I woke up at 5.30 just absolutely wide awake um, and, you know, started watching film on him. And, and it was it was really special. I mean, that's um, a guy that I, you know, I've watched on TV pitch a million times. And um, to kind of see yourself in that arena and, and you know, have that guy be, um, you know, part of a memory for me that I'll – remember for the rest of my life it was just it was it was incredible it was so special and um it was it was surreal just being on that field and being like hey you know what I belong here and and you know getting a hit off them it was it was special tell you what listening to you describe it it's like bringing back those jitters or that excitement that yeah I remember experiencing too and it's got to be something pretty like look it's been a unique season to say the least in everybody's Mm -hmm. lives right now and then you get into that game, which is a dream come true, and now you get your base hit. As you're going to first, how hard is it to control your emotions? Because <laughs> I know you want to high-five everybody. You want to hug the first base coach. You want to do so many things. It feels like you, you're just like stuck, like you don't know where you're going. How exciting was that? That's so true. I, uh, you know, I, a bunch of the guys were joking with me. They've never seen me run that fast down the first <laughs> on a single. Um, and that is the fastest I've ever run. I'm pretty sure. But, um, man, you know, we, we kind of had a tough inning the inning before. So, um, you know, when I got that hit, I kind of wanted to, to, you know, make sure that I, I kept that in mind and, you know, we're still trying to win a ball game, but, um, after, you know, after getting on first, I think I kind of clapped my hands and, you know, just kind of took a deep breath and, you know, it, it just all kind of hit me there. And I was glad I didn't start crying on, on TV. Jose would have been like, Hey, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> <laughs> were, but, uh, were you able to was, get that uh, baseball, John? I was, I was, I was able to get it. And, um, our assistant trainer, uh, wrote on it and everything, you know, the date and, and, uh, wrote Keiko's name. And, um, it was just, it's really special. That's going to, that one's going to go to my parents and, and my mom and my dad. And, um, cause they've just sacrificed so much for me over my entire career. And, um, you know, that's something that's, that I think they're going to think is, is super special. What you got to do is you got to get one of the guys to get Dallas Keuchel to sign it himself. I had that happen when I scored my first NHL goal. One of the guys went and the trainer or somebody went and had Kirk McLean, who was the goalie for Vancouver way back then, had him sign the puck for me so that when you put it in your holder or your frame or whatever you're doing, you have that guy's signature as well to just encapsulate the moment. So we'll have to get in some of the guy's ears and make sure we get Dallas to sign that for you. Maybe you get a free box of just for men, too. (laughs) 
Hey, that would be great. Yeah, I, I could use a little beard help. I mean, I, I had the mustache, ended up with the mustache for the debut, but maybe I could get a little beard help too. We're talking with John Nagowski. He made his debut over the weekend for the Cardinals, got his first big league hit as we've been talking about. He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. John, I want to talk for a minute about your your journey as well, because it was not your typical journey to Major League Baseball. You were not a first round pick. You did not come straight through the organization and get all the way up. You had some detours along the way, and I want to talk about 2017 in particular. You end up getting released by the A's who drafted you. You go sign with Sioux City, and the Cardinals decide to purchase your contract in June of that year. What was 2017 like for you, going from the down of the release to what I would imagine is excitement of the Cardinals finding you and bringing you back into the minor leagues? It was uh, it was an absolutely incredible year, and um, you know, going into spring training that year with the A's, I kind of knew that um, it was just going to be tough to to find a role. They had Matt Olson, they had Ryan Healy, they had um, just some guys in front of me that they had invested a lot of money in and a lot of time into, and um, you know, I was a thirty fourth rounder, and so I kind of knew that going into spring training, and didn't really get much of an opportunity in spring training, and. Uh, they basically said, you know, we, we'd like to send you, we'd like to hold on to you and, and send you to extended spring training. Um, but, you know, if you want to explore another option, um, you know, we'll, we'll grant you a release. So at the time, you know, I said, you know what, I, I want to play. I want to, I want to ask for my release and, and somebody will pick me up. I had two good years. Somebody will pick me up. And I learned very quickly that in this game, just jobs are so hard to come by. And, um, so I waited a week, no calls from any teams or anything like that. And, uh, and I said, okay, well, I, I got to go to indie ball. And I had a few indie ball teams that, that were interested in me and um, signed with indie ball. And I just was like, if I hit good and, and I play good defense and um, just basically play the way that I've always played, somebody will find me and somebody will give me a chance. And I had a really, really good month that first month in indie ball and, and uh, John Booch signed me and, um, I went straight to Springfield, had a really good year in Springfield for the second half of that season. And I ended up in the Arizona Fall League at the end of that year. So just absolutely incredible. I got, you know, released out of spring training and then finished the year in the Fall League. It was it was just it was the wildest year of my life for sure. All right, John. So now that you've had your taste of the big leagues, right? And I remember this feeling too. And look, yes, you, you had to back down. You got some more work to do. But now that you've had a taste of the big leagues, how bad do you want to get back to the show? And how much are you willing to do to get down there and work as hard as you can to get back? Because I mean, it's just so motivating and exciting for players. For sure. And, you know, I think, uh, the, the big thing is, you know, all these doubleheaders, they were great. It, it got me the opportunity. But then at the same time, all these doubleheaders mean, um, you know, they need pitching. And and especially right now with, you know, a lot of these guys that took 14 days off, essentially not being able to leave the hotel, you know, pitchers aren't built up. And, um, you know, you need arms. And, and for me, it's just about being a good teammate and kind of understanding my role on this team. And obviously I – want to be in the lineup I want to help that team but you know they need pitching right now so I completely understand that and um but to answer your question I think it's just so incredibly motivating I mean I kind of always dreamed about how it would be and it's even better than what I could have even imagined um and and that was with no fans 
So <laughs> that's true. Um, you know, it's just it's it's incredible. The guys here are just so awesome. Goldie and Dex and Colton and and Carp, especially. You know, those guys. Um, they just made me feel like I was part of the team, and and you know that that's really special. With you know, I have four days of big league time, and they made me feel like I had 400 and uh so yeah I, I absolutely want to get back up and and you know win some games last question that i've got for you we're talking with john nagowski here on 101 espn uh, your story is not finished by any stretch of the imagination john but when you look back on what the last five six years of your life has been like going through the minors going through independent ball who are some of the people along the way that made it possible for you to get to where you are today, knocking on the doorsteps of the big league and over the weekend actually getting that call? Who are some of the people that you look back on and you're like, man, that's without that person, I don't think this would have been possible. Oh, man, I there's so many people. Um, you know, my girlfriend especially, she just really motivated me and um, just makes me – want to be a better person and um you know she's such a huge reason for for my success my parents obviously um just all the all the every sacrifice that they made was was for me to get to this point and um you know all the nights hitting with my dad in the cage and and um you know talking with my mom and my mom helping out in any way possible driving the travel tournaments and and any gear that i needed or anything it was never a question um i had it and, you know, those, those three, especially, um, you know, I've, I've guys that I've hit with in Tallahassee my entire life, my, my hitting coaches. And, um, it's just, it's, it's crazy. You know, when I got that, that hit and, and everything, and I got the call, like I'm hearing from people that I haven't talked to in five, 10 years, but it goes back in your head and you're just like, man, you know, those people played such a huge role in, in everything. You know, all my best friends just being so supportive um, throughout the years. And um, it's just, it's tough. Like I was taken this morning and just trying to reply to, to every one of those, those texts. And that's from three days ago. I mean, it was just, it, it it's so hard to just name, you know, three or four people because it really does take a village to, to get to this point for sure. Well, I'll tell you what, we really appreciate you taking the time, especially in your busy schedule, to come on and talk with us. We're really, really happy for you, man. We were so pumped when we saw you get your chance and then to get the base hit and to be a part of what was going on is fantastic. So uh, you will always, by the way, be known as the Nog Father for us. I love us. it. I love it. Do you have another <laughs> nickname? Like, do the, do the guys on the team call you something in particular? No-go. Mostly everybody calls me no-go. Um, See, I don't really like that as much. Time. Yeah, I get no go is pretty much it, and then uh, John from my girlfriend or my mom when I'm in <laughs> when I'm in trouble. <laughs> um, but that really pretty much no go. But you know, hey, if we can get the Nog Father going, I'm in on it. Yeah, good luck having your mom call you the Nog Father. But hey, it's worth yeah, it. It's worth a shot. Like I don't know if I like that, but uh, everybody else, yeah, you can call me that. Well, John, we sincerely appreciate the time today, man. It was it was like Jamie said, incredible to watch you over the week. Weekend, to get that debut and then to have that hit over the weekend was just it was awesome for us to see and it certainly was an incredible achievement for you we hope that there's plenty more for you over the years here in st louis we appreciate the time today man enjoy it we hope to see you again soon thank you guys very much anytime you got it that's john nagowski joining us here on 101 espn lifelong fan right here 
for that guy. Absolutely. That guy is awesome. And one thing that's been really cool, and I think Danny Mac does an awesome job of this on the broadcast, but one thing that's been really cool over the last week or so with the Cardinals is seeing how many guys are making their major league debuts. I mean, it's it's incredible. They've I think it's like what seven or eight guys already. Yeah, it's that something like that. Their major league debut. It's a lot. Since I mean, obviously, it's a different circumstance when you have a team that's going through you know pandemic. But it's a lot of guys. It's exciting. It's awesome to watch. And Nagowski was incredible over the weekend. Third base situation excluded, but to get ah. that, can you even imagine what's going through his head at that point in time? That's why I asked him that because I know, like, when I scored my first goal, like, I wanted to basically skate through the boards. I was so excited. And to have him just get a single, right? I know he wanted to round first and, like, just go for two. And it's like, oh my God. And it just, it's awesome to hear players bring you inside their heads right and describe what's going on and i'm just a sucker for guys who have worked a really really long time and maybe weren't blessed with that blue chip prospect tag where they're going to get a shot no matter what i'm a sucker for it i am i like seeing these guys that have traveled the the less traveled roads to get to the big times and have ate a pound of dirt in order to get there so the story engulfed me and then to have the interview and talk to him and listen to him and how an real awesome guy. he is, right? Thanking his, his mom, his dad, the scout that noticed him. Certainly talking about how important his girlfriend is. Uh, it, it just make, He's a guy, an, another guy. I know that's going to be hard to believe, but he's a guy I'd like to sit down and have beers with. I know that's hard to believe, but I bet he'd be a fun guy. His name is John Nagowski. His friends call him no-go. We call him the Nog Father here on this show. We hope to see him again in the big league soon. A huge thanks to him for giving us the time today. It's 1222, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Let's get back into the blues. Is it Jake Allen's job to lose at this point moving forward? Up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. We always think about it. We got two really good goalies. So, um, you know, Jake felt good and uh, he played a strong game. I just, uh, I, I had a gut feeling that uh, just went with him. He, he was excellent again. Jake Allen has started three games since the bubble restart. He's allowing 1.2 goals against on average. He saved 96% of the shots that he's seen, and he's faced 102 shots so far. He has been tremendous. Bennington's been solid during the round robin and then had his struggles early on in this series. Now the Blues have a decision to make. Game five coming up tomorrow night, Blues versus Canucks. Pre-game will be right here on 101 ESPN with Alex Ferrario beginning at 8.30, puck drop at 9.30. Do the Blues go with Jake Allen again? My question to you, Jamie, my question to you, Ferrario, is it officially Jake Allen's job to lose at this point in the postseason? Yeah, for this series it is. I think that absolutely you you can't switch gears now and you know I might be completely wrong and and you guys will look at me after the game <laughs> on one Wednesday and say hey, good call Riv <laughs> but I'm just saying that right now Jake Allen this is his net and you get a free reset when things either go bad or you start a fresh series right so that that's what I can anticipate now with this moving forward is that Jake Allen is the guy until things go bad 
or they get to a brand new series and you want to start over. You want to reset the table. And look at Jake Allen has been great. Let me tell you something, guys. Everybody used to talk about how the team plays differently in front of Jake Allen. I feel like they don't trust him as much and it doesn't look like they're as comfortable. It's true. Okay. And I don't mean guys that go into the game saying, Ooh, I don't want to play in front of Jake. The analytics don't lie. And the analytics definitely support that theory based on the fact that the Blues' offensive zone time and their time in transition and their exits from their zone are much lower when Jake Allen is in the net. I feel like what it says, basically to break it down, is they're playing on their heels more than they're playing on their toes. And that has always been the tough part because then Jake is under siege. And it always feels like, oh, my gosh, Jake played great. Too bad that they couldn't pull that off for him. Well, it's because in theory, based on the analytics, they're not playing to win. They're playing not to lose. And that never really works out that way. And the guy who ends up with the short end of the stick is Jake Allen on that one. These last two games have been a complete turnaround analytically. The Blues are pushing forward all the time, and Jake Allen is making those saves. Heck, Jake Allen is making incredible outlet passes. That's one thing that yep. we haven't really discussed either is Vancouver Canucks are dumping the puck in. They can't retreat to Cal for one to get in there and take it. Number two, if Jake Allen can get out of his crease, he's got that puck and he's making an outlet pass much like a defenseman would. So it's just killing that forecheck. So that's another aspect to Jake's game that really helps him be valuable. But the Blues, the players, the team itself are playing much more on their toes, headed downhill towards the opposition's net for these last two games than they have in probably the last year to year and a half in front of Jake Allen. Well, and uh, you, I mean, you crushed it there with that, that ribs because it killed in the penalty kill as well. I mean, as soon as they dump that puck in Vancouver, Jake Allen stops it. And then you're looking at it going out of the, out of the zone and, and it just kills that momentum. But you know, everyone sees this with, um, with Jake Allen and they're thinking, Oh boy, what's wrong with Bennington? This team can't win without Bennington. Look, teams that win the Stanley cup, they got to have two goaltenders. Go back through the NHL in the past. Now, I know the Blues had Bennington all year last year, but when the Washington Capitals won it, Grubauer played in the first series because Holtby was terrible. Holtby got the second and then continued on. Matt Murray won it for Pittsburgh the year after Marc-Andre Fleury won it. Chicago, Scott Darling isn't an NHL goaltender if it's not for Corey Crawford being bad. You have to have two goaltenders if you want to win the Stanley Cup because there's going to be games where somebody's going to be off. And right now that confidence is coming from the Blues because their goalie's making that save. They play different in front of Jake because Jake in the past has been leaky in that. The fact that he can make those stops, and, and I'll go off of the third period yesterday. There were two or three occasions where the odd man rush for Vancouver was coming up the ice, and Jake Allen makes the save and it goes the next direction. Blues are confident in him. This is Jake Allen's net right now. One bad game, then I think you do give Jordan Bennington another shot. But until then, Jake Allen's going to keep running with this because he is making the timely saves, which is what the Blues need. So Martin Baran was on with the fast lane yesterday, and he was talking about this situation. And he said, basically, to sum up what the interview was, he believes that Jake Allen should get and continue to get these opportunities until proven otherwise. To me, Jake Allen is not a number one, a true number one goaltender because there's not enough consistency, as you pointed out. But he's a really, really good goalie, a solid goaltender when you pair him with something else and they can share and push each other. And when Jake Allen was playing with Brian Elliott, 
they did that. They really pushed each other. When Jake Allen uh, was playing with Carter Hutton, uh, they pushed each other. And now I think Jordan Biddington took over. But Jake Allen is saying, hey, I'm still here. I can still give you some really solid minutes. Uh, but if you rely on Jake Allen to be your number one goalie for a full season... Uh, that's when you get in trouble. Is uh, is Marty Buron Russian? <laughs> no, that's our good French Canadian guy. Uh, <laughs> but which, by the way, Marty Buron is an amazing guy. Great yeah. teammate, was a fantastic goalie. But you know what he says has a lot of value there. A couple of reasons: one, he was an NHL goalie, and he also was part of tandems out there. Marty Buron started as a young guy, then took over the number one. Then he went to the the backup role. So he knows what is going on here for for these two guys involved. But the one thing you got to remember, guys, is it is a competition. Yeah. And true professional athletes thrive in competition. Michael Jordan, right? We talk about that all the time. I know you reference Patrick Mahomes as well, who just competes at everything he does. His offensive coordinator the other day called him a competitive prick. Exactly, right? (laughs) So this is what you have to be to excel in professional sports. And I think that it can be a healthy competition. And I think that we can't lose sight here of the big picture. One is... Right now, Jake Allen's the guy. In my mind, there's no question that he's leading the team out for the next game. If things don't go good, guess what? Jordan Bennington, please report to the office. Yep. It's your time to go, right? That's it. And if Jake Allen wins out this series, you still have a period of time where you see who your opponent is, and you go, okay, maybe it's time to reset the table. We're going to come with Benny in game number one. Why? Because we can and Jordan Bennington at that point, you don't think he's a little hungry. Yep. You don't think he's he's ready to go. You're darn right. And you're, you're probably going to get the best version of Jordan Bennington at it, that point. It was well documented last year of how great of teammates Jake Allen and Bennington were. They talked with each other. It reminded me a lot of what Allen and, and Elliot were when they were together because Elliot was such a great guy in terms of supporting Jake. Bennington and Jake Allen did that same thing. It is an internal competition. Look, unfortunately for the Blues, Jake Allen has never been able to grab a hold of being that number one goaltender he's always fallen into a little bit of a rut january february and then they've had to find somebody else there look at the track record of jake allen with elliot elliot had to take over the number one spot because allen couldn't hold on to it allen may not be a number one goaltender but he is a hell of a number one b goaltender he makes a great uh, goaltending tandem much like what you see in halak and rask and elliot and allen when they were here so that's why this team is so effective because they know that when Bennington gets that shot, Allen's not going to be in his own head. Allen's going to shake that off. But Bennington right now is just waiting for that moment because he knows that Allen deserves to be in that. Allen also knows he's playing not just for a job here in St. Louis, but elsewhere. Oh, gosh, yeah. Hell like, yeah. He, this is his <laughs> opportunity to prove to another team, hey, you can trust me, not just for the regular season, but I can get this done in the playoffs as well. And his market, the value for him on the market and – God, if you if you right now are Doug Armstrong, you got to be loving what you're seeing from this, both because it's helping your team move forward and every game that he plays the way that he has in the last two increases his value on the trade market in the offseason because you're looking at a guy that could potentially win games for you in the playoffs. Yep. Yeah, that's something that'll play for a lot of other teams around the league. We said this last night on pregame. 
this is the same situation that happened with Yaroslav Halak in 2010. When 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 Dale Armstrong had to trade Lars Zeller, a top prospect in their system, and a couple of other players for Halak because Halak had taken the Montreal Canadiens all the way to the Western Conference Final. Yeah. This is the exact same situation that the Blues are going to be going into to where if they do decide to move Allen, they're going to get something back because he can steal a series for teams and they know that. I want to pass along a little bit of information. Craig Berube is talking with the media right now and I wanted to pass along if you missed it earlier today. Vladimir Tarasenko is heading back to St. Louis. He will be meeting with the doctors and we should get some sort of report by next Monday on what's going on with his shoulder. Craig Berube, this comes from Jeremy Rutherford, on the signs that Tarasenko was not feeling right. Quote, no signs really. He obviously wasn't comfortable with the way that it felt, so we've got to get it looked at. He then adds, we're a team. We play without players at times because you have to with injuries and different situations that come up. Our team is what makes us a good team. We just rely on each other and different people can come in and take people's spots and just do the job. So certainly sounding like the Craig Berube we know, I found that first quote to be particularly interesting. No signs really of Vladimir Tarasenko not feeling right. He just wasn't comfortable with the way that it felt. So we've got to get it looked at. Yep. There you go. And, Something wasn't right. Something and, wasn't clicking. And you got Barbashev cleared to return. So it's another piece to add into the puzzle. It is. But it, listen, I'm not surprised at Craig Ruby's mentality. Uh, you know, I've compared him loosely at times to Bill Belichick and maybe not so much in the way they strategically think, but the way they handle the team concept overall and, you know, the Patriot way. Now it's kind of like we call it, you know, blues hockey, right? This is what the blues are, the culture. Well, that's Craig Berube and next man up. It's your time to go. And yeah, Vladdy didn't look comfortable. Nobody really knew that he was in as much pain or his discomfort. So why would you sit around and wait and try to mess with it? Send him back to the experts. Let them figure out what the heck is going on. And if he gets back to 100%, you fly him back up there four days in quarantine, four negative tests, and you bring him back in. Man. It's uh what what a what a wild ride this has been for the 2020 St. Louis Blues. <laughs> you lose you lose Vladdy so early in the season. You play the entire year close 70 games and you end up with the number 1 seed despite that. The league shuts down in mid-March as you're trying to make your postseason run. You look like you're starting to play really well. And then suddenly you've got this round robin. You end up with the fourth overall seed. You had nine months for Vladdy to get back to 100%. You think you're going to have him there. And he's clearly not himself. And then you end up with the fourth seed. You play this young, up-and-coming, fast-as-hell Vancouver team. They take the first two games of the series. You lose Vladdy. And now you've won the last two with, of course, Jake Allen and Ned. What a what a wild ride. You know what it is, guys? Adversity. And what did the Blues muscle through last year? Adversity. At every step they took, there was adversity. So quite honestly, I think the Blues are more comfortable than ever right now with this adversity. I think I put a petition out there. Keep that team in the white jerseys, in the small (laughs) locker room, the rest of these playoffs so that they feel like they're the underdog in all of this. Look, they've talked about it on postgame, guys. Like they, they, They hear it from the outside, and some of it's putting them on themselves, but they hear it that people are saying, well, they're just not playing well. That's where this team thrives the most. And as Mike Tyson said, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face, and Vancouver's tasting that right now from this team with jamie rivers and alex ferrario i'm brandon kiley let's dive into the junk drawer coming up next we're back
back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. So, Jamie, when I was back in middle school, I was quite the football player. I like to believe that was the case, at least. (laughs) (laughs) Playing tight end. And every once in a while in practice, you'd mess up, right? And the coach would tell you, hey, BK, go take a lap. You messed up. You did something wrong on this play. You were supposed to block the linebacker. You went to the D tackle. You messed up the play. Now a running back got tackled in the backfield. That's on you. Go take a lap. Typically, that's not the way that professional coaches handle things. (laughs) Because, you know, you're talking to professional football players. Not with Joe Judge, the new head coach for your New York Giants. Joe Judge yesterday made his debut practice appearance with pads on for the New York Giants. He didn't like what he was seeing out of his offense. So he made a point to his players. If you're not going to play the we, the way that we want to, not only will you take a lap, your coaches will take a lap with you. Here's Joe Judge explaining that. What is with the guys running laps, including the coaches? And then I saw some guys doing it individually as well. Well, there's consequences on the field for making mistakes. And in a game, it costs you 5, 10, or 15 yards. You know, in a practice, there has to be consequences so we learn how to deal with our mistakes. Sterling Shepard, the starting wide receiver, was asked after practice, when was the last time that you had to do laps for something that you made a mistake about? He said, probably in middle school. (laughs) I can tell you right now. First of all, the Giants aren't a particularly good football team. If they don't start the season like 4-0, this Joe Judge experiment is going to fail colossally right off the bat because of crap like this. I think it no way. I think it's good. I, I listen, it's a little don't cra- believe that. Okay, yeah, I do actually. I know it's a little crazy, okay? But at some point you have to reset the accountability meter. And yeah, it's a little over the top. And I think it's an attention grab, right? So like Scotty Bowman with the Red Wings used to do silly stuff like this. And so did Jimmy Roberts way back in the It's little like things that grab your attention, get a little media buzz. And actually what it does subtly behind closed doors actually kind of brings everybody back together because you're laughing about it. Hey, you see coach running, you see him coaching the pads, right? Like, it's kind of funny. If you're winning, it's funny. Well, they haven't played a game yet. They ain't going to win. Jamie, I, I got news for you. I don't like you. your negativity today, BK. <laughs> the New York Giants are not going to be doing a whole lot of winning. This is what Matt Patricia did when he got to Detroit. And if he had won early on, I'm with you. It, it's the Bill Belichick thing, right? They run hills in New England, like a massive hill over by their practice facility. They run those, which no other team in the NFL is doing. They don't. And it works because in New England, you win all the time. In Detroit, you're one of the worst teams in football, and so it goes south and all of your players want to leave after a year. That's going to be what happens in New York if they don't start winning right away. I don't know about that. That's that's tough. You know what, though? I'll tell you what. It it can't be as painful for these guys as a guy that I found here in Russia. Uh Uh-oh. That's never a good start. Never a good start. Okay, so you guys, you know what powerlifting is, right? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. I know that may surprise you, but I do. No, 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 no. I wasn't going there. 
I just never got the whole power lifting thing, right? I mean, I don't know why. It's just not my cup of tea. Because you probably power lift bears in the forest. <laughs> well, good point. Good point. But there would have been a reason. I think it was to sharks. It. Yeah, right? Sharks. He was drunk and there was a shark sharks. and he just, just it was grabbed the only thing it. Sorry, threw it. All the deadly animals run together when you're with Jamie Rivers. Good point. He's a lot of bad decisions at that point. <laughs> now, my point is, I just never got power lifting. How you just like blow out everything for like one rep of something just to prove you're this strong and this kind of proves my point okay um alexander siddiqui that's an easy name it just rolls off your tongue right there doesn't it he stepped up to the squat rack and had roughly 880 pounds on the bar and he's a big dude i mean everybody everybody looks pretty confident that he's gonna nail this thing and then all of a sudden when he went to squat it Oh, you no. heard a loud cracking. Oh, nice. Yeah, immediately this guy drops. He's in serious pain. And uh, yeah, he broke both his legs squatting 800 pounds. Oh, my God. So again, let me pose my question from the beginning. Why would you power lift? I don't get it. Like, if you're going to go out and make millions of dollars of, I don't know, picking up cars and tipping them, then by all means, go support your family. I get it, right? But I understand the bodybuilding to an extent. I understand working out in physical fitness and looking good and feeling good. Yeah. I don't understand risking breaking my legs to squat 800 pounds. See, I'm with you. And the other one, like this is the squat version, right, where they crack the legs in half. Have you seen the guys that are doing the clean off of the ground? So the hang clean is you go uh. from the ground and you try to flip over the bar and you bring it up over your shoulders, right? Well, some guys pick it up off the ground. They get it right about the shoulders, and then suddenly you get like a leg that bends the wrong way, or you fall over backwards, and the weight comes on top of you. Like, I don't understand that one at all. At all. And these dudes are putting absurd weight on either side of that bar. It's just insanity. I don't get any of it. It, The the funniest thing I've ever experienced for me personally is my brother and I were working out late teens. He may have been in the NHL at that point. Me knocking on the door. And we're working out. And you put the clamps on the ends, Mm -hmm. right? Well, you're supposed to. We're supposed to. Okay, so you know where this is headed, right? My brother's doing this big old bench press. I forget what he had on there, but it was a lot. And he's doing for like the one or two reps. Like, we're getting our manhood so on like 135 here. on there yeah like 115 maybe for two anyways no but it was heavier and he goes to he brings it off goes down i'm spotting him and all of a sudden you know one arm is always stronger than the other well that dang one arm pushes the one side oh, up with well, no. the weights slide off the one end right so it's this this click click and then as soon as that goes the other end becomes heavy it's like click click and the whole gym is staring at us and he's sitting there holding now which is an empty bar basically just, looking like he can't handle so like, well, i got it up <laughs> god i <laughs> The, the stuff you see at gyms sometimes are just a, as funny as it can get. I've seen those before, but I've also seen them before where guys have been unable to get down from the pull-up bar. You know how they'll put those like those belts on oh, the yeah, with the belt. weights yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're hanging themselves up there, but yet they can't get themselves down. And just this guy is just hanging there and just shouting for somebody I'd to help him. him. 
I'd leave them too. I'd leave them. I'd leave them too. Be kind of funny. Mike, Sometimes that's the best. Stopwatch starting. How it's long like can he Wal- hold himself? It, it's like Walmart to people watch. You go into a gym and you just kind of see what happens. My favorite one is when you've got a new guy that has clearly never seen that particular machine before. <laughs> oh, and he's like, he's like doing leg curls the wrong way. And he's doing leg extensions. Pointed the wrong way on the machine. Yeah. He's like looking the wrong direction. It's amazing. For the longest time, I was always insecure about reading kind of the like the guidelines of what you're supposed to do on the machine. I'm like, oh, these people are going to think I'm weird. No, but then when you see somebody do it wrong, I'm like, I am so glad I read how to do this machine. Okay, I was a young guy, 15, 16. We'd go to this big club in in Ottawa. It wasn't like Gold's Gym or nothing. but And so the same thing, there was a couple of machines that I had never seen before. I Up until that point, I'm working out in my garage with like garage sale weights. Free weight stuff. Yeah, exactly. So I'm looking at a couple of these machines, and then I'm figuring, okay, the best way to do this is to find the most muscular guy or the guy that's in the greatest shape. Wait for him to do it. Yep. Observe and then kind of go from there. Well, that usually works unless this guy's like some weirdo <laughs> and he's using the machine for a different body yeah. part. So what or he he's like doing, suddenly puts on an extra plate yeah. in there. And he's like turned sideways using his like shoulder thing. And you're like, what the heck is he doing? This guy was doing like shoulder raises, but with a leg extension <laughs> machine. Right. And. I'm thinking to myself, oh, what the heck is he doing? Now, muscular guys knew what he was doing because it wasn't all that crazy. I get over there and I'm like trying to do this shoulder thing and I'm like all of like 150 and just pounds. Clank, 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 clank. And everybody just staring and like shaking their head like, what are you doing? I've seen people come into the gym before with bags of fast food, eating food on the treadmill. It's like, what is happening right now? The best is you'll see the guy that comes in and it's like he he, he just wants to get a quick run. And yep. you can tell he, he doesn't have any time. He he just wants to get on that treadmill for 10 minutes and go back to work or do whatever. Right. And he's got like a polo and the jeans that are like <laughs> or he's wearing like fitting. a pair of slacks and running <laughs> shoes. I'm like, dude, seriously, your uh, life can't be that busy. What's going on here right now? I don't understand. Oh, geez. <laughs> With Jamie Rivers and Alex. Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario texted us last night and he said, Guys, I've got some great stats for you on the St. Louis Blues about how much they are dominating, absolutely dominating the Canucks in one particular way. Well, let's find out what those stats are coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. The Blues are just dominating five-on-five in this series. Absolutely dominating five-on-five. And Alex Ferrario texted us last night, Jamie. He said, guys, I've got a stat on this that I want to talk about tomorrow. So, I want to hear what this stat is. Ferrario? He's got the book out and everything right now. I was so prepared last night. Five-on-five, Blues are dominating. What do you have for us today, my man? It might be hard to read my writing from all that Jack and Coke last night at (laughs) 2.30 in the morning. Jack Jack and Coke? Oh, yeah. Jack and Coke. That's how you go to sleep at night, boys. No, so I I was... No? Okay, sorry. Uh, I was looking at this going into the game just because it it was obvious that the even strength play has been 
on top of all of this. But then when you get into the advanced stats with this, and you kind of mentioned BK to open up the show, the Corsi ratings for Ryan O'Reilly. So with Corsi rating, it's basically puck possession from shot attempts, shots missed, blocked, shots that hit the net. Ryan O'Reilly himself has dominated at even strength. What was it? It was 79, I think mm-hmm. you had it at. Yep. It's the only player who's that had that with five or more games in the playoffs. But then I started to look at team numbers at even strength Corsi rating. So for St. Louis, out of their team that has played five or more games in the postseason, they have 15 players that have a 55 or more Corsi rating, which means above average amount of puck possession time at even strength. So how does that compare to some other teams? Colorado has been the best team at even strength. They have 18 players. 18 of their 20 guys have above 50%. Then you look at Vancouver, and this was the part that just shocked the hell out of me. They have five players that have above 50% Corsi rating at even strength. And of those five players, three of them are defensemen. So you have two forwards on Vancouver's team that has a Corsi rating of puck possession above average at 55%, whereas the Blues have 15, and that's all of their defensemen on top of nine forwards. So the fact that they are possessing the puck this much just goes to show you that Vancouver has no opportunity to create any offense, and with shots on goal that actually hit the net, they had... 39 of them, I'm sorry, 49 of them in game number three, 49 shots came at even strength. Every one of their shots came at even strength. So right now, puck possession, puck metrics, Vancouver doesn't stand a chance against this team if it's five-on-five play because the Blues do not give the puck up. Here's the thing, too, that goes along with that. By the way, Alex, incredible numbers, great job. Uh, You really painted a good picture for our listeners there. Now, what goes along with that? And people always ask me, well, why do the Blues, how do they wear down the opposition? Like, they don't have Ryan Reeves anymore. Right. They don't have this guy. Barrett Jackman's not out there giving it to guys anymore. How They don't really have anybody that tough in the lineup. This is how they wear teams down. What Alex Tinfoil Ferrario just told you regarding these numbers is how you wear down the opponents. So let's do this in sequence. One, you get the puck. Two, you put it in good spots. Three, you finish every hit possible on these guys to retain puck possession. Now, four, when you get it back, you keep the puck. Yeah. And you make Quinn Hughes defend you. You make Elias Pedersen defend you. You make JT Miller defend. Bo Horvat defend. You look at Quinn Hughes' face at the end of the second period after a couple of those marathon shifts where, guess what? He didn't touch the puck once. He was ready to tap out, guys. He was like, I'm not doing this. Like, this this is not fun here. And so, to your point, Alex, those numbers, all that stuff encapsulated into one thing. That's what wears down teams that play the St. Louis Blues. That's Blues championship hockey. And if they can do that consistently from here on out, they're really going to be miserable to play against. And those puck possession numbers are coming from you're creating turnovers. I I mean, I said it at the open, Vancouver is apprehensive to touch the puck right now because they know they're going to get hit. Go back and watch that third period. They couldn't get the puck out of their zone because they were expecting the Blues to hit them, Mm -hmm. and they would just kind of whiff at the puck to try and get it out as fast as possible. And next thing you know, you're winning puck battles. You're winning board battles, which you weren't doing the first couple of games. Then on top of all of that, you you are seeing the, the the progression from north-south style hockey and continuing to push the puck up north. All of those factors are turning into this puck possession right now, and it is why the Blues have been so dominant 
JT Miller said last night, Ryan O'Reilly's spending zero time in his own zone and all of the time in our zone, and we can't let that happen. Yeah, and when you got players from the opposite team, the first thing you want to try and not do in the playoffs is give bullet and board material to the other team. And usually it's something negative, right? This is praise. Yep. So now Ryan O'Reilly, he gets up today. He's feeling pretty darn good about himself. And then to further it, Travis Green. What an idiot. Travis Green last night. I understand coaches trying to change the narrative of a series or, you know, shift the momentum. But he went on to say, hey, look, you're five on five. We've been better than the St. Louis Blues. I don't even know. I'll yeah. have to pull it up here because it was such a an interesting quote. And Yeah, I have it right here, Riz. To, to me, it was just... Uh, yeah, here it is. I think our mentality is a line. Oh, no, that's Ryan O'Reilly. Never mind. Here it is I'm right screenshotting here. too many things at once. <laughs> so, he, so he said, didn't think the Blues dominated tonight at 5-on-5. Five five. Didn't think the bottom six was a concern. Doesn't think the Blues are wearing down the Can- Canucks. Basically what? right there, he's pleading with his team. Don't fall to this. Don't you? Please, guys, you can do this. It's I saw that last comical. night, Riz, and I go, was he watching the same game that we were? Be- the Like, the players know that the five-on-five five play has been oh, terrible. Gosh. And the players know that they're worn down after that. Yeah, it, It'd be impossible not to see it. Like, literally impossible not to see it. Because the numbers, we can see all of those. They're feeling this. Like, you, you mentioned, imagine being one of those players on the Canucks with O'Reilly seeing this quote, right? Imagine being David Perron right now. Oh, yeah. And seeing that quote and thinking to yourself... We're in their heads. Yep. And Perron's already in all of their heads. They want nothing more than to bash his skull into that. Into He's that broke them. They every love single time <laughs> that they get down the ice. They are taking so many late shots on David Perron every time they're down the ice. And Perron's like, okay, cool, perfect. I'm in your head. He loves it. Yeah. It's it's what he lives for. And he, by the way, is playing really well so far in this series. Really well. Quite incredible. That entire line, I mean, I, I can't imagine. And now the Blues, they're the home team in game five, right? Yeah. Now they've got the line changes again. So now every matchup that Baruby wants with that Ryan O'Reilly line, he's going to get that again. The Blues did this in the last two games without having that advantage. Now think about that. If this happens to go seven, they've got it in game seven, and they've got it in game five. The Blues are in their heads. They have the line that is dominating the series. They have the best player in this series, and I'm not sure there's a close second right now. Ryan O'Reilly is playing at such an unbelievable level that this is not a shot against anybody else. It's the face-offs. It's what he's doing defensively. It's what he's doing to create opportunities for his other line mates in the offensive zone. It's everything. He is dominating this series from start to finish of every single game. It's amazing what they're doing right now with that line in particular. Another tidbit here on how the Blues wear down the opponent. This is Tuesday, right? It's a down day. They played late into the night last night, relative, because they're still in Edmonton. They're an hour behind. Still not ideal. Probably getting to bed about 1.32 in the morning if they're lucky, if they come down. Yeah, Sunday they left the rink at 1.30, so I'm imagining you're looking at probably about 12.31 last night. Okay, so... Fast forward again to today. Today is your icing down, you're getting some therapy, you're maybe having a team meeting, your players that are playing a lot are not touching the ice. And guess what? Oh, yeah, darn it. we got to get back at it on Wednesday. And the Blues have last change to your point, BK. So now Pedersen, Horvat, Hughes, all these guys, Miller, that hate playing against him, they know they're going to start almost every shift against him. And if they don't win the faceoff, guess what? Now they have to play an extended period of time against the O'Reilly yeah. line. 
This is how teams get their spirit broken in the middle of a series. It's what is exactly happening right now if the Blues can keep their foot on the gas. Well, and the one thing the Blues have to do, and as, as positive as we are right now after these last two games, you got to stop playing with fire on this power play. Now, I was texting you guys. BK and I were the ultimate uh, jinx last night, or we were trying to be for the numbers on the penalty kill because the Blues have been great there. But to give them seven power plays in that game, you are playing with too much fire. Keep it at five. If you keep it at five on five, it's like when you take a toy away from a kid. You just start crying because you don't know what to do with yourself. That's what Vancouver was doing. They're basically just sitting there going, well, what do you want us to do, coach? It's five on five. We can't do this. You got to keep it that way in these next couple of games. Jamie, yesterday you said that there was something that you saw in particular on the penalty kill that has changed, right? Like, you don't want to have seven penalty kills, of course. That's every game because of what the Blues can do at five on five. And you just don't want to be at one man down at any that that often. But you said you saw last night something different from the Blues penalty kill that I wanted to get into as well. Yeah, they made an adjustment, okay? And it's it's not like something that's so amazing that you're like, oh, my God, they've figured out the riddle, right? Listen, Vancouver's still got a great power play, and we give them too many opportunities. It's going to suck for the Blues. Mm-hmm. But what they've done is they've taken the top defender in their zone, and he's fronting the puck when it goes high. So basically you end up with a one-on-one in the face of Quinn Hughes. The other forward usually would drop down. It would be kind of a diamond format or formation. They've changed that a little bit to where the second forward now will drift to the middle, and you'll have the two defenders taking away the both posts. So it looks like a T formation. If you're looking at it from the other team's zone, you would see one, two players stacked in the middle, two defensemen blocking out in front of the net. And what that does is it forces the puck wide. It forces the puck to Pedersen and Miller. And as soon as you do that, now you rotate and you take away their time and space. So basically, it's a trap. It's saying, we're going to give you the puck out wide. That's a really not a great shooting angle. And as soon as it gets there, we're going to now deny the pass back to Quinn Hughes. So now you've got to go low, where now numbers match. Because we have two guys, the top guy and the far forward, are now irrelevant and our one guy's taking away that pass, so it becomes three-on-three three down low. 50-50 battles, and that's where you're going to win. The team that can outwork the other team, which right now the Blues are a hungrier, heavier, stronger team, mm-hmm. that's what you're encouraging. You're encouraging the puck to go from high to low into high traffic area, battle for the loose puck, and get rid of it. Now, one thing, too, with J.T. Miller, he's got a little bit of a tell. Like, poker players have a tell, right? And we talked about at the beginning how he disguises his passing and all this so well that you don't know if he's going to shoot or not. He does actually have a tell to where he opens up his left toe just a little bit farther open when he's going to put the puck towards the net or if he's going to go to Pedersen through the box. He closes up the toe just a little bit more when he's going to slide it back to Quinn Hughes. And it's a subtle thing, right? But as a former player, I look at these things because that's the only way you create an advantage for yourself. Watching a guy's eyes, watching his shoulders, the body language, right? Mm -hmm. I know. Here we go again, right? It's incredible, though. But he does. It's like tipping a pitch. Yeah, pretty much. And he opens his foot up just a bit. And almost every time I'm like, okay, it's not going back to Quinn Hughes. So guess what? Now you can collapse. Now you can collapse. And now you actually outnumber them four on three in the pit. So loose pucks, definitely, Jake Allen, to your point earlier about how he's directing pucks to non-dangerous areas. Now it's a foot race. Now it's a battle. Now it's what we want. It's not this finesse, tic-tac-toe power play for the Vancouver Canucks. 
And that's how it trended towards the end of the game last The night. other thing that I've noticed on the PK for the Blues, and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong on this, but it seems this way. They've been more active in the neutral zone even before they get into yeah. the Vancouver Canucks yeah. offensive zone. Disrupting the flow. Look, Quinn Hughes carries the puck up the ice as good, if not better, than anybody in the NHL. They're taking better routes. The first couple of games, we saw some bad angles. Heck, Bo Horvat went coast to coast yeah. because the Blues players took bad angles and didn't actually force them to a non-dangerous area. They're letting Quinn Hughes right now take ice, but then what they're doing is they're closing out that ice later on. So it's almost like a false sense of security. Here, we're luring you into a trap again, and that's what the penalty kill is, quite honestly. It's you outwork the opposition, you're willing to sacrifice, which, by the way, let's talk about that for a second. I know we got to roll here, but how many block shots are we seeing? Tyler Bozak eats one in the third period. Alex Petrangelo eats one. Yeah, Oscar Sundquist I was about to say, had the throws best one. <laughs> up the Karate Kid sidekick to block a you shot. You had 16 last night, and that's phenomenal. It's Did phenomenal. you hear Panger's response whenever he saw the Sunny block shot? Uh, he was losing it. He just lost his mind. It was the it was the goofiest laugh in the best possible way. It was amazing. It was like, I can't believe what I just saw. <laughs> Sonny is the most incredible player because he will, he will basically put himself in danger for getting hit by a puck or a person and just bounce. Joey called him last night he said he's, he's kind of dumb in that sense like he'll stand there and take the hit and be like yeah I'm good and just bounce off of it but that's the key to penalty killing okay is good setting good traps then creating areas where you can outwork the opposition and then be willing to sacrifice more than the power play is that's why teams always say you got to outwork the penalty kill Vancouver's not able to do that right now and that's why it's playing into the Blues hands now I'd like to see three penalty kills instead of seven ultimately <laughs> But as of right now, the Canucks have got to go back to the drawing board. And again, guys, everything circles back to guess what? The Blues are in their head. 65780 is their comfort service text line from the 314. You guys are killing me with all these excellent hockey talk. Keep up the good work. If you think this is the only place where you can get Jamie's excellent hockey talk, you couldn't be more wrong. The Last Minute Blues podcast with Jamie, Donnie, and Burton is on 101ESPN.com and the 101 ESPN app. You can get all of your Blues information over there as well, as along with, you know, having Ferrario and Jamie right here from 11 to 2 on 101 ESPN. So, Check that out, the Last Minute Blues podcast, 101ESPN.com and the 101 ESPN app. It's 117, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Let's play a game of bet it or forget it. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Let's play a game of bet it or forget it. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it, Jamie? Jake Allen is going to finish the Canucks series as the Blues starting goalie. Oh, I'm betting it. Absolutely. All $7.23 I have in my pocket, I'm betting it. Wow, that's that's a a big bet. It's a lot. I know. You can get almost all of that as a free deposit on your FanDuel fantasy account if you sign up today. You could, but the best part is I get an extra five bucks, so that's really $12.23. Well, that's what I meant if you get the five dollars as the Well, I don't have any of that because you just said earlier I have my wallet heavy, so (laughs) it is. Especially it's amazing. Do you actually have longer pockets sewn into your pants so you can't reach your wallet? So I have a question for you guys. We'll get into that or forget it here in just a second. (laughs) So I've seen guys do that before. I can't quite reach my wallet. Is this an excessively large wallet? 
I thought that was carry-on luggage. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a suitcase. Do you have wheels on that thing? Are you George Costanza? What do you have in that? <laughs> a lunchbox? I have like 5,000 different gift cards and stuff in here that I don't even know what it is. What do I need to do to consolidate this Here, thing? give it to me. Let me throw yeah. half of it away. Here, let's have a contrast of... What yeah. we're dealing with here. Yeah, look, I gotta figure something out. I, with got this thing. I got three cards in my wallet. One of those is my license. I don't know what to do because, like, I need most of this stuff with me. Okay, what do you really need be, on a daily be, basis, though? Very little. Do you so have then, you gift cards in there? <laughs> little stamps for Jimmy his, John's. His subway card. Well, the other problem his is we've got a hotel card. key from three years ago. We've got ago. a key card thing to enter here. Okay, and that key card is the least of your worries <laughs> looking at that wallet right now. Yeah, that key card is not making your 18-pound oh wallet that heavy. How many pockets do you have to have replaced? Just four. Because there's no way the, the, the life of your pockets exceed or is no. far shorter than the life yeah, of your clothes. You need to invest in cargo shorts and just wear them all oh, the time. Come just on get now. a backpack. Call yeah, it a wallet. True. I do have a backpack. Just call it a wallet. Does Kara have Same a purse? <laughs> Does Kara have a purse a you can borrow? I'm sure she's got one or two that I could satchel. borrow. Satchel. It's on a purse. It's a satchel. Get the Stalter side satchel. Indiana Jones had one. Forget it, Ferrario. Jake Allen's going to finish the Canucks series as the blue starting goalie. Bet it, because this is done in six. You got two more games. You need two more confident uh, stops by Jake Allen. They need to weather the storm from Vancouver in game five. They do that. Game six, I think, will be a cakewalk. I agree with both of you. I have said all along, Blues in six. Oh, my God. I'm not getting off of that stance. I believe that the Blues will win this series in six games. I never wavered from that at any point in time. Always a believer in Jake Allen and the St. Louis Blues. Bat it or forget it, boys. When Ryan O'Reilly's career is said and done here in St. Louis, he is going to be one of the Mount Rushmore players for the St. Louis Blues in the history of their franchise. Ooh, that's a tough one. Bat it or forget it. Ryan O'Reilly will finish his career as a Mount Rushmore player for the St. Louis okay, Blues. Okay, I'm going to bet it. And I'm going to dive back to what our good buddy Jeremy Rutherford said earlier in our interview, which, by the way, you can catch later on the 101 ENA. ESPN app, download the podcast on demand. It's a great interview, by the way. Uh, but Jeremy Rutherford went on to say that he's won a Stanley Cup. Brad Hall never did in St. Louis. Bernie Federko never did. Al McKinnis never did. Not in St. Louis. Nobody has ever done that, right? So we the conversation always comes up about Alex Petrangelo being the first captain, and it should. He's had an incredible career in St. Louis. Ryan O'Reilly, certainly a small sample size with a blue note on, but he's won a Stanley Cup, and he won the MVP of the playoffs. So he's kind of a big deal when it comes to playoff hockey for the Blues. And then he just follows it up with a Lady Bing and a Selkie nomination again the following year. And now he's literally shutting down teams by himself. And his work ethic in the legend, quite honestly, of Ryan O'Reilly and what he does away from the rink as far as his workouts and his crazy work ethic habits. Yes, I think he's not only on the Mount Rushmore, I think we see the number 90 hanging in the rafters one day. I think so, too. And I know that's... Mark this day! He is fired up. <laughs> I know I said that'd be tough, but I mean, it's true. I mean, you look at the Mount Rushmore now, Bernie Federko and Al McKennis, a Brett Hall... All of these guys changed the franchise of the Blues, but they never won a Stanley Cup. And it comes down to O'Reilly and Petrangelo. Petrangelo was the captain. Petrangelo was the best defenseman on the Blues roster last year. Could argue Colton Pareko up there, too. 
But Ryan O'Reilly was the con Smythe. Ryan O'Reilly was the guy all season long carried the team from worst to first. Yeah, I I agree, and he's got to be there, man. He's got to be there, and I agree. If he ends his career in St. Louis and he continues this pace, let's say you win one more cup before the end of his career, you're looking at number ninety and number twenty seven in the rafters. Hopefully, both of them stay here long term. Nineties, the nineties not going anywhere. I, I, I know, but I, I was referring more towards Petrangelo, yeah. right? Like, got to resign that guy. Let's let's keep him here in St. Louis. Yeah, he's only twenty nine years old, Ryan O'Reilly. He's got a long time still to be playing here in St. Louis, you would think. Yeah, his work ethic is second to none, but he also works so hard that, uh, you know, it's going to be... Maybe it's only be... like five years of his prime left. Yeah, um, but a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, you keep him around extended period of time yeah. based on the fact of what he brings to your team. Yeah, he's a, he's an Alexander Steen at the tail end of his Yeah, can you his imagine NHL throwing career? him on the fourth line yeah. at the end of his career well, hell, penalty he's a, kill? He's a third line center for you at the end of... At 36 years old, he's going to be the best defensive. Look at Datsuk at the end of his career here in the NHL. He was still scoring goals, not as much, but the guy was still the best defensive forward on the ice. I would agree. He is incredible. Ryan O'Reilly is. I got a better to forget it for you. Oh, okay. Bet it or forget it, Sammy Blay drops his gloves next time when he's going into an altercation. What? What? Okay, I'll bet that and bet you he doesn't go in with his chin first bet either. It. What the hell happened there? <laughs> All right, so I've described this uh, earlier on the uh, Last Minute Blues podcast because Jeff Burton and Donnie Fandango were losing it. By the way, Donnie had a great blue note last night, and he said, uh, he said, by the way, this has nothing to do with hockey. What happened in Antoine Roussel's life that made him the way that he is? Why are you the way that you are? <laughs> Loved well, it. We did address that, but <laughs> here's what Sammy Blade did wrong. There's things he did right. And the things he did wrong. First thing he did right was he came swooping in to help out a teammate because Roussel was clearly targeting Sanford, knowing at this point that Sanford would drop the gloves because he did once before. Roussel trying to spark his team like the true little pest that he is. He was going after somebody he thought would shed the mitts with him. Well, Sammy Blake comes skating in. And to Roussel's defense on this one, when you see someone flying in and they've got their arms like they're wrapping around you, that usually means means the mitts are flying off and it's go time. Yep. Well, the mitts didn't come off for Sammy Blay, which to Roussel's defense, it wouldn't have made me hit the stop button either. I'd have been like, too bad. I'm unloading here because the mitts might come off and then if he yeah. pops me one, I'm going to be even angrier. So Sammy Blay, next time you come into a situation like that, if you don't have the intention of shedding the mitts and throwing bombs, you just come straight in with a cross check. Yep. And here's why, okay? The guy then has to put his hands up in front of his face to defend himself, which means he can't shed the mitts. And then he realizes at that point that you're not throwing the gloves down. You're keeping your stick in your hands, and it's probably his best interest to just get through this at that point. Yeah. So Sammy Blay, next time, come in with the stick high. Yes, you might get the two minutes for cross-checking, but you won't get four minutes for roughing and be spitting chiclets all over the ice in the cage for the rest of the game. And you won't have a broken nose slash chin, depending on what happened, because he got socked. By he Antoine Roussel. He did. And the referees got it wrong. Okay. Oh, they yeah. really did. They, they got it wrong. It should. I called it right away with you guys. I'm like, that's a five minute major. 100%. Because you yep. can't just throw the mitts and pound somebody with no regard. Right. And, but the refs got it wrong. At and the very minimum, it should have been a power play for the Blues. Should have been four minutes for Roussel, two for Blay, for sure. If you're going to go down that route, the referees screwed it up. It is what it is. But Sammy Blay, we'll be talking about it, buddy. In the future, come in with the stick high or come in with the mitts that are already off like 10 yards behind you. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. we got to get to the bottom of this.
from the 314. Don't put your wallet in your back pocket. It'll throw your spine all out of whack. Well, well naturally, he's seen the size yeah, of your wallet. Well, yours is the size of a <laughs> pillow. That's not true, right? That's an urban legend or something? No, that's what they say. Well, based on I mean, okay. the fast lane says it's the text line, it's pizza.com, and it's Wikipedia. And this is coming from the text line. Yes. So is this real? Okay, but going again, back to the original size and weight of your wallet, I would deem this to be true. Yeah, yours you is a on, pillow. You go on pizza.com and you have BK's wallet. Yeah. And this statement, you're thinking for sure that's absolutely 100% accurate. Yeah. Now, yeah. if you shave the wallet down a bit, maybe you lose some of the Chuck E. Cheese cards that you have in there, then I think but you those can... coins are good for life. <laughs> I think... <laughs> so they say. He's saving those tickets for the yo-yo with the lights on it. Yo-yo with a pencil eraser. <laughs> no, 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 no. The, the Chinese finger trap thing? That's what that's what you're supposed to play. I don't play with those because I have claustrophobia, and that scares me. I buy those, but not a Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, he uses other finger traps when he's at home. Better to forget it. Matt Carpenter is going to finish the season with the most at-bats for any DH by the Cardinals. Don't want you to answer that just yet. I've got something on the other side about Matt Carpenter and this lineup as a whole. We need to buy some time until Paul DeYoung gets back. There's some concerning numbers. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. High fly ball out to deep right at the wall, and it's gone. Home run, Dexter Fowler. And Fowler puts the Cardinals on the board. Their first hit, it's a home run for Dexter against his former team. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio courtesy of Fox Sports Midwest. Our guy Danny Mack on the call yesterday as Dexter Fowler hit a homer. His numbers look really good, Jamie Rivers. Look really good. Paul Goldschmidt, the numbers look really good right now. Matt Carpenter, the numbers don't look good, but... You're hoping that there could potentially be a bounce back moving forward. I dove in a little further this morning, Jamie, Uh-oh. to figure out what is real and what is fake with Dexter Fowler, Matt Carpenter, Paul Goldschmidt. I was hoping I could come on here today and I could be like, you know what? There are some really positive signs about Goldie and about Dexter Fowler. And I can sell this. <laughs> uh-uh. Nope. Can't do it. Can't do it. Well, BK, Cardinals- what's the problem? Tell us. Cardinals need to buy some time until Paul DeYoung gets back. Because right now... Why? Have you seen Millsy? Seriously. That, that's the kind of guy that needs to buy them some time right now. Because right now, despite the fact that the numbers, the batting average, the slugging, all of that, the, the traditional numbers look really good for Paul DeYoung and Dexter Fowler in particular. The underlying numbers look awful. <laughs> This is not the Paul Goldschmidt of old. It is not the same guy. His exit velocity is at the 25th percentile in all of baseball right now. His expected numbers are a league average hitter. Dexter Fowler, even worse. His exit velocity is at the 1 percentile in all of baseball. That means 99% of the players that have a hit in the in this Major League Baseball season have hit the ball harder than Dexter Fowler has on average. His expected numbers are at the 10th percentile, which means 90% of the players across Major League Baseball have been better so far this year on an expected basis than Dexter Fowler. He's getting lucky. That's what those numbers tell you. Dexter Fowler and Paul Goldschmidt are both getting lucky right now. Now they're hit they're they're hitting and that luck hopefully doesn't run out. But these numbers tell you that it's smoke and mirrors so far this season, and they are going to need to either change what is happening at the plate, they're going to need some some changes in terms of their approach, or 
The Cardinals really need Paul DeYoung back in the middle of this lineup as soon as possible so they can get another big hitter in the middle of that order. Okay, so as I try to wrap my brain around these underlying numbers, and look, I understand the exit velocity, but if you're putting the ball in play and you're getting base hits, what does it matter how hard you're hitting it? Because they're basically hitting it to where, right now, the guys are not. Yeah, isn't that the plan? More often than not, when you hit them the way that the, that Goldschmidt and Dexter Fowler are, you're going to run into some outs. You're going to run into a lot of outs. The way that Dexter Fowler is hitting the ball in particular right now is really concerning. He's hitting nothing yeah, He was hard. pretty good over the weekend. He got the results. Yeah. Yes. And so the results are the results. You can't argue with that. So what that. you're referring to is like a predictor of how things Correct. are going to go. See, that's how the stats always get me with baseball because like you are looking at the expected numbers and you're looking at the way that they hit and you're going off of those. But at the end of the day, if you're hitting, you're contributing to the team, which is important. And, and right now, Dexter Fowler, what he's actually contributed has been great. What his numbers are, what his actual results have been is nothing short of tremendous. And they've needed it really badly over the course of this five-day five stretch or so. No doubt about it. But what I'm saying is moving forward, they can't count on that from Dexter Fowler because so then, the numbers indicate that it is going to go away sooner rather than later if he continues on this trend line. So how do the numbers work, though, when a guy like Dexter Fowler, who, look, at I understand, I don't understand all the numbers. I understand what you're saying about the numbers. But then he hits a home run. So... Like how does that? How do your numbers and exit velocity and all that support the theory that if he this had a good guy hit. he had a good hit and, and listen, like I'm just trying to understand. I'm not challenging you. I'm just trying yeah. to understand it. He had a good hit, but on average, when he when he hits the ball right now, he's getting no power behind it. There is nothing behind anything that he is hitting. He's hitting the ball uh, 81 miles per hour on average in the exit velocity. To give you a little comparison, Dylan Carlson the other day had an out at like 105 miles per hour. That is more predictive of future success than what Dexter Fowler is doing right now. So we're getting. Does a lot it of- have everything to do with his swing or his actual? physical power that he has both okay it's the swing it's the pitches that you are deciding to hit it's the selection of the pitches that you are taking it's all of that it's all wrapped up and so what i'm saying here in six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service tax line from the three one four thanks ribs for straightening out big bk uh another one dude they're getting lucky how did 101 give you a job <laughs> listen so, sometimes <laughs> baseball in baseball, you the, the results don't match what is actually there with the process. And that's what I'm saying here. Jamie, whenever you watch a, a, an individual hockey game, mm-hmm. sometimes a team will put 40 excellent shots on net and none of them go in the goal. And so you end up with the day, zero goals. And it looks like you didn't play very well that day. But you know, as a hockey player, we actually played our asses off. They just had an unbelievable day from their goaltender. He stopped everything. If we continue playing that way moving forward, we're going to win a lot of games. We're going to be a really good hockey team. On the other side of things, you can have a team that shoots 15 shots from way outside and they get the exact right bounce and boom, they scored three goals on a day. That's not predictive of future success. That team probably isn't going to be as good over the long term as the team that had 40 great, excellent quality shots, and they just didn't have any go go in on one day. That's what I'm talking about with Dexter Fowler. Dexter Fowler's the team that had the 15 shots on net. None of them were quality shots. They ended up having three of them go in, and we're expecting this to continue moving forward. So we're looking at luck more yes. than anything. It's, it's probably not going to continue with his current 
expectations with what he has been doing at the plate. All right, I'll give you that. Meanwhile, you've got guys like Dylan Carlson that don't have those same results right now, but if you look at what they've actually done at the plate, how they're hitting the ball, same with Tyler O'Neill, how he's hitting the ball right now, you should expect him moving forward to have more success. So I say all of this to say this. The Cardinals lineup right now is getting away with smoke and mirrors towards the top of the lineup. That's fine. It can work for now, but they really need their big guys to come back ASAP to be able to continue moving forward what they've had from the offense thus far. It's our biggest question of the of the year. What can this offense be? So far, they've been getting away with this. It, it doesn't matter what the underlying numbers, what my nerdy numbers say. They've been getting away with it. But if this continues moving forward, we're going to start talking about this lineup and saying, oh boy, is this going to be a big problem the way that we thought it was going to? So all I heard there is you want to be negative. All I heard there is you just feel like the Cardinals aren't good enough and you don't like Brad Miller. <laughs> That's all I heard. Doesn't like Dexter Fowler. Yeah. Poor guy. All he's doing is hitting balls yeah. right now. Jesus, he's just he's just scoring runs what Dylan Carlson hasn't Home been able runs. to do yet. Exit velocity is I don't care. How many RBIs does Carlson have? Yeah. <laughs> just curious. <laughs> he's already moved on from him. Now he's a Millsy guy. Oh, now he's Millsy. What? You guys are the worst. <laughs> The absolute worst. With Jamie Rivers. One pathetic loser. I absolutely am. And Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN from the 816. So much hate for Fowler. Can't we just be happy that he's hitting the ball? Yes. Absolutely. Thank absolutely. You. Thank he's hitting you. over 300. God bless Dexter Fowler. Was a great teammate the other day to uh, Shrock and Roll. Appreciate him going up and getting that baseball, the homer that uh, Schrock had. So uh, huge, huge uh, shout-out to him for that. Just hope that he can hit the ball a little harder. I just want him to stay lucky. Let's cross things over at the Fast Lane next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. God, our text line loves me today. Just (laughs) loves me today. Oh, You're on boy. fire. Thanks a lot, Ronge. The hell did I do? Yeah, thanks, Ronge. I think this is my favorite one. <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. And I had a lot of choices, so to be the favorite, this was a really good text. I can't wait to hear this. From the 314, BK, do you struggle this much to come up with takes? <laughs> or does it just come naturally to you? You ain't uh, You're last. A hit is a hit. It doesn't matter what was expected. You know, uh, but it got a point. It is. It's, the system is not letting me log into the text machine right now. As, as, if best, to, as if to say you don't want to see this. So I don't. I don't know if I want to. I think it's that's pretty funny though, man. Also you know, you from know the six one eight. Yeah, BK sucks. Just let Rivers talk Blues hockey again. <laughs> Uh, that's actually from Ronge. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure that was Joey Vitale. <laughs> that's right. You're the worst, Ronge. What, what, what did I do? By the way, crossing things I over do? with the fast lane, Chris Ronge in studio. What's up, bud? Hey, uh, why are you crapping all over Dexter Fowler when all the guy does is just <laughs> smoking ropes around the field? Why Puts are you the ball doing in play, this? Right, Ronge? And Paul Goldschmidt, he's putting the ball in play. What is the matter with you? <laughs> you know, sometimes when you put How it in play. How dare you? You idiot. Yeah, you know what? You're good. You make a good point. You make a good point. Actually, we talked about the exact same thing yesterday. So Dexter Fowler we, just you know, we crushing talked, the ball right not, now. Not about Fowler, but we talked about Goldschmidt and how he's... The results are there. The numbers are there. But um, there's still kind of an indication that he's not hitting the ball all that hard. 
You know, the numbers kind it's of... Good. They, yeah, they, they bear that out, and it doesn't really matter right this second because you're getting the production, and that's all you really need. You just you, you want the production. What the numbers indicate is, and I know people don't really want to dive deep into them... They got really mad at me for doing so. so. Do but but what what all, all you've done... <laughs> Pretend, BK, yeah. We want to go imaginary? I will yeah. stick up for you. Oh, all, God. All Jesus. you've done... God. How's that all you you've feel? done... Well, That's you know what? Team. Yeah, uh, look, yeah, I am your team. And just know this. Just know this. You've got somebody who's correct on your team. Oh, God. Yeah. That's what you've got. That's, that's the way for us to really win this discussion. You, you, have, you, oh, have, uh, you, have, you have the right person on your side. It's absolutely. Now. Fan favorite. All he's done, all BK has done, <laughs> is, is, is show you what the numbers are and what they are. Could be if it continues down this path. Yeah, well, all That's you, all he's saying. But all you did, Ronge, was make sure that the Cardinals didn't get Fernando Tatis or Luis. Son of a bitch, that is my wow. fault. So that you're a too. Boy, how about this unwritten rule stuff, huh? Is there anything dumber in sports? That pissed me off so much it's, when I saw that last night. Like, it's it's universally getting mocked today. Like, it the, should. The, Which it, is good. It's just, it's, yes, it, I'm glad. That's actually a good thing. The, what we have seen today is that the stuff that played 10, 15 years ago in baseball no longer plays. You can't do it. You're going to get crushed nationally if you decide to do so. And that's what happened with this situation. But the part that's frustrating is the fact that he apologized. I don't think he should have apologized. Shouldn't have apologized. He shouldn't have apologized to that. So. Eric Hosmer shouldn't have apologized well, for him. It was. It was. It his wasn't manager that. shouldn't have said what he said. Yeah, but Hosmer said what did the manager say? What what Tingler said after the fact was Tingle. basically Tingler, by yeah, the way. Tingler here. What he said <laughs> after the fact was basically he should have uh, probably next time he would take a pitch then and he or he should know the signs Why? or whatever it Why? is. Why take it yeah, yard? Why take a pitch? Take it yard. And like BK said at the commercial break when we were talking, it was three nothing in the seventh. The the Padres. Came back from down seven runs a year ago. Yeah. So yeah. It, it happens. Keep playing until it's over. And if you don't like it, make better pitches. Yeah. Get people if you out. don't like it, don't suck. Don't give yes, them something sir. to hit. Don't load the bases. That's on you, man. By the way, what was his expected hard oh, ball ratio? 100%. Oh. So that's I, good, though, right? Did what, you just whatever, ask what his oh, ball rate was? <laughs> Jesus. What's what? yours? <laughs> That's how cold it is. He hit the hell out of that ball. And th- that's the thing that really frustrates me, Jamie, or Jamie Ferrario, Laurent, whoever wants to talk about this now at this point. off of its, its uh, holders right now, boys. The, the thing that frustrates me is maybe next time that he's in this situation, Fernando Tatis Jr., he doesn't swing. It, he ends up, quote-unquote, learning his lesson from that. And that just becomes less fun for baseball. Yeah. It means you have one of your best young players who is exciting as hell to watch, and he does fewer of those fun <laughs> things because baseball has sucked that fun out of him. And that would be super disappointing. No, that's that's worse than Manny Machado getting thrown at the very next pitch. You're right about it, because baseball needs more exciting players. They need more players to show emotion. Because every, everything is stifled, or it has been traditionally, and that's not—it just isn't fun to watch. It's not, it's not fun to see that stuff. Enough with the crap, man! Just play the game. The game is played from the first pitch to the last pitch. Just let it go. Just right. play. You don't you say sit the first up. pitch to the last pitch. I don't know. Maybe it could be. 
I mean, a lot of guys that do start the game that way. Well, somebody was pissed last somebody night that he gave pissed. up a grand slam. Whatever. He give it up a grand he slam. He should, exactly. Let the guy hit the dang ball. Did you? There is a close-up of, I just saw it. I didn't notice it last night, but the close-up of Machado on deck as Tatis is swinging away and makes contact on that ball. Machado just kind of throws his head back like, ah, oh, damn it. Like, he knows he knows <laughs> he goes that he's going to come up to the plate and pitcher's going to have a red ass. The sensitive snowflake is going to have to throw behind him because he's mad because he just gave up a bomb. He, he knew exactly what was going to happen. It's a really... It's a really awesome part of the video. So, Joey Vitale. Joey, Vitale. Vitale. Oh, Joey Vitale is here. Who's this guy? I don't he's know. Why, why are you all over BK's I, case? What I don't know do? why Joey, he's mad come at on me. In. Come on in here. Because I, I notified our listening audience <laughs> that uh, Joey Vitale, who's the best, by the way. Um, <laughs> Honestly, this this is the worst. This, <laughs> is, this is not he good. He texted me at 1.41 p.m. As we talked about Dexter Fowler. Is BK drunk? <laughs> BK almost went to tears when he heard that. I was laying in bed listening to you guys. <laughs> I heard BK go on you a rant. Fast, I got out of man. bed and came to the studio to personally downstairs. ask him what the heck is wrong with him. Well, hell with these That's 9.30. I don't even need to be here. Yeah, these 9.30 starts, you might as well be sleeping in the basement. I'm what happened? Why, why, was I, why did I upset you? I'm just here to get answers. <laughs> I mean, listen, I know nothing about baseball. I am more confused about baseball now than I ever have been. I mean, the guy gets a home run, and apparently it's not good enough. I don't know what's going on I'm going to predict that he sucks tomorrow based upon BK's numbers. And the expected ball ratio and the hard hit oh, rate, he's just going to be awful. terrible the rest of the season. Oh, God. Uh, this was it. definitely the day to take that takeout, huh? <laughs> Probably could have saved that one until tomorrow. I got off my Tyler O'Neill takes on the right time, though. At least I did those the day before he struck out 100 times. Then you pick the blues in seven. Yeah, but now what's his expected whiff rate? <laughs> Jamie, there is no not, expected not whiff enough. rate. We you don't nerd. have that one yet, Ron. You nerd. You nerd. <laughs> For Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Ron, what's coming up on the fast lane, man? Hey, the blues. They tied it up last night, but you know what? Uh, not so good. Vlad's out for a while, maybe. We don't know. They'll it's be not great. They'll be all right. I, I'm but telling you right now. But they look good, don't they? I would recommend going on the positive side of things. <laughs> oh, yeah. What, don't, we won't bring up anything bad. One rushing out, so one Vlad, rushing in. Shrimp Vladimir, on the Barbie. Vladimir Tarasenko is just currently not available. No big deal. It'll be fine. Two to six, the fast lane. They're going to have all of your positivity for you coming up. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 on 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.